Hey, what's up? This is a quick reminder that The Grit with Chaz Smith is now available on its own podcast feed. Pull up your app right now, search The Grit. You might want to add the word surf, maybe my name, maybe Chaz's name, and then uh, it'll pop up. Click subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Here's a little tidbit from this week. And then I almost felt a gratitude for my ex. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I guess... I feel I feel a certain amount of gratitude for my ex too, but mostly the fact that I can say that I hate her and stuff in books. I was going to say you owe her a thanks because yeah. she was part of your first chapter she in sure your was. first book. Yeah, I hate my ex-wife. Yeah, was the was the line right or was something? Like it was that. pretty detailed. I, yeah. I mean, that was probably a line, but I remember <laughs> paragraphs about your hatred. I'm going to have to change my position on the inertia. Then, if I'm a, if I'm happily divorced from the inertia, I got, I've got to go back to hating the inertia actively every day because I don't want to be I don't want to have an okay really I don't want to have you and your ex-wife's relationship I don't want to feel gratitude for it you devoting attention to it I'm concerned is actually to your own detriment okay it would be to my own detriment if I got together with her and then she complained about her current relationship and I'm just like giving her advice or something (laughs) that would be a nightmare you know what I mean so you doing that for the inertia okay okay inadvisable I I hear you great great okay therapy session yeah that's fantastic we console each other about divorce. Chaz finds out he has skin cancer. It's not a joke. And uh, we solve all of the surf world's biggest problems. So again, subscribe to The Grit and whatever podcast app you use. And I also said earlier this week, he could be the first human on earth to leave us a review, our very first iTunes review, now that that podcast is on its own feed. But somebody beat you to the punch. There's one review. There's about 11 ratings. So definitely jump in, though. Leave us a review. Help other people find that show. All right? Thanks a lot. And welcome back. Today's show is a little bit different format. Swell Season is a radio show and podcast out of NYC. They're, it's hosted by Ben Palmery and Tyler Brewer. Tyler Brewer was here in LA recently and he interviewed me about surf splendor. He wanted to know my origin story. He wanted to know about my relationships with Scott Bass, Chaz Smith, and with the surf industry at large. We talked about my five-year plan for this show and the network of podcasts that are developing here. Swell Season published that episode a couple of weeks ago and a number of listeners emailed me to tell me that they really enjoyed it. So I decided that I wanted to share it here with you. In the last couple of months since... 2018 has, um, you know, started. I've been wanting to do kind of a short State of the Union episode because increasingly there's a lot of things happening behind the scenes. Sometimes it's just development stuff that I feel obligated to kind of let you in on. Sometimes it's things that get edited out of shows but are worth discussing. And it turns out that this swell season episode is um, it really accomplishes that state of the union goal. So that's why I'm bringing you that episode, Tyler interviewing me in its entirety here today. Uh, But you should also go back and listen to their show. You'll hear Tyler mention in this episode an interview that he did with Tom Curran and the late Sonny Miller. So you can find that on Swell Season. Just again, in your podcast app, search for Swell Season. I think you'll find Tyler Brewer charming enough here today to uh, warrant checking out his other episodes. And then also, before I get into that interview, I'm going to give you this brief conversation that I had with Rob Colby of Need Essentials. This conversation is not a paid plug, but Rob is partnering with Scott Bass and I over on Spit Podcast starting next week. 
I've mentioned here how I want to kind of only partner with people whose brands and products I believe in. Need Essentials was agreed upon by both Scott and I to fit that. And I think this conversation with Rob will convey exactly why we're grateful to partner with him and really just to see Need Essentials thrive. You'll get it completely. Um, We're really living in a time where smart people and hard workers can develop more efficient business models that offer customers better quality products at lower prices. Between Netflix, Dollar Shave Club, things like that, it's really just a great time to be a consumer. And it's also great to see um, that people are bringing some of that ingenuity into the surf sphere. So that is the structure of today's show. A brief conversation with Rob Colby about how a small company is navigating the surf business and then Swell Season interviews me. And all of it is brought to you by two companies that I'm nearly certain will benefit you, especially if you surf. Health IQ is the life insurance company that you've heard me talk about on this show. They've really turned the life insurance world on its head. In short, they offer incentives for living a healthy lifestyle. You need to qualify for Health IQ, um, and they have a screening process to determine if you're in good health. But if you are, they'll likely save you money on life insurance. So again, healthy people alleviate the burden on the healthcare system and in turn on taxpayers and society at large. So Health IQ is incentivizing people with better rates. Make sure that you go through my portal so they know that I directed you and they support this show, healthiq.com slash surf splendor. The second company is fanatic.com. They are the Netflix of fins, mailing loaner fins to your door for 10 bucks a month all the postage is included back and forth. You try fins as long or as short as you want. You send them back. They send you a new set of fins off your queue. For the first month or so, I was just exploring one board with various sets of fins, but now I'm actually using one set of fins on various boards. And I'll just say it's fascinating how much difference fins make. It's not to say that any given set of fins is actually good or bad. It's just that they work well with certain boards and less with others. It's really fascinating and um, it's kind of an elaborate equation to figure out, but it's expanded my quiver almost infinitely. The same three short boards now feels like nine or 10 different boards. So for 10 bucks a month, it's an absolute no brainer. And again, make sure you use my promo code podcast quote podcast is the promo code. You'll get a free month and then they'll also support this show. So fanatic.com promo code podcast. Thanks. And without any further ado, here's my interview with Rob Colby of Need Essentials. All right, Rob Colby, we're back, dude. Good to see you. <laughs> Great to see you. Thank you. Bringing on advertisers, what I've kind of mentioned along the entire way is I only want to work with companies that I believe in, whose product I believe in, whose kind of mission and business practices I believe in. And I have been wearing Need Essentials, not only wetsuits, but product for over a year now. And uh, that is why we're having this conversation today. Well, thank you for dropping by today. You're and, welcome. Yeah, I was... I liked how this whole thing um, came to be because I didn't know about your podcast. Uh, I didn't know who Scott was. I didn't know who you were and found out. I, I don't know how I found out, but someone may have texted me. Maybe it was Tim Stamps. No, I bought a wetsuit well, and then came. It's, oh, you found out. Before. Someone told me that, hey, you're on this podcast. You know, they're talking about your wetsuits. And there's this guy, Scott Bass and this guy, David Lee Scales. Um, so I've. I found out about it, and then you said, hey, can I come by and interview you? 
Okay. Yeah. Difference. No, we have different remembrances. Okay. Because I did buy that wetsuit, but then I wanted booties. And I was like, wasn't sure if I needed a 10 or 11. Yeah. So then I came by your old office to try them on. Yeah. And we were talking. Is that how it happened? You know what? Now that I'm thinking about it, maybe I didn't mention the podcast to you in that meeting. Okay. Maybe I did just buy the booties and leave. And then we followed up. We figured it out after the fact. I just remember hearing the mention on the podcast okay. and then you and I emailing. And then I was, um, I was reluctant. You know, I think I was a little nervous. Really? Yeah, I was. About what? I don't know. Just talking about it. I've been, I've been pretty um, tight lipped about this whole thing. Yeah. You know, I don't want to talk about it in the, I want to meet our customers. I don't want to talk about it in the business section, you know? Sure. And, and that's what I was worried that it might be. I don't know why I'm worried about that, but it just was something that that scared me a little bit. And then we met, and you know, it's been um, a lot of fun since then. Just you guys have been a huge supporter, uh, which I really appreciate. Yeah, and th- that's all been organic. Like you mentioned, hearing Scott and I talk about it, Scott actually bought a wetsuit, and I bought one almost simul like within a week or two of one another. And the next episode that we recorded, he brought it up organically on the air, and I was like, "Dude, I got one too!" And we were both really psyched. And I'm just been a huge supporter. So now that we're bringing on advertising, you reached out and you're like, dude, I want to support you and Scott and spit and like everything. I appreciate you guys uh, always talking about it. And I want to bring back some of the support. So that's why we're here today is to talk about kind of um, I want to recap your origin story so that listeners understand the brand. But then also, I think you've gone through a lot of the things that I'm going to be going through. And uh, I wanted to rely on you for some insights want to hear about how need is growing and and some of the things that you've had to navigate and and one little thing i'll i'll interrupt you and say i remember going in to because i do really believe in what you guys are doing um and i went in to um donate and you know i went into paypal and there were options i think it was five dollars ten dollars and twenty and i may have written you a text or two about why isn't there you know sort of an open-ended version of that for you know people like me who, you know, I, I really, really appreciate the support. I really believe in what you're doing. Um, and I think you're doing, you know, something that surf media has needed for a long time. So what do you think that is? Um, I think there's a lot of honesty, um, that you guys can bring that, that, that comes in long form content that is not, uh, available in the current publications that, you know, that kind of control, millions of eyeballs per month um and i and and i think you're going to build something that will be based on that honesty i think that the the people that are coming to you now they want to hear stories they want to hear stories that aren't tainted by um you know someone you know tapping on your shoulder because they bought the back cover of your magazine for for the next you know 15 years but i like the honesty i like the fact that it's it's longer form content. I like the fact that you've expanded beyond, um, you know, what started as sort of a conversation about pro surfing and, right. you know, some of the things that you and Scott talk about, which I still really enjoy into, you know, different, uh, conversations with shapers or conversations with a glasser who's artisanal and brilliant, uh, to conversations with Chaz, who's, you know, he's a, he's a riot and, you know, obviously a very sharp guy. So I enjoy the fact that you've, you've, you've taken this idea and worked your ass off for free basically 
um, to go and, and build content for surfers that's honest. And so th the whole thing that, that led to, you know, our coffee the other day was, I want to support you. And you've supported me in ways that I can't thank you enough for. So I'm going to thank you this way. I appreciate it. And um, that support will help me fulfill a lot of other goals. You mentioned that I've expanded beyond what was originally anticipated. I have so many more ideas for new shows and different storytelling and getting outside of Southern California, <laughs> booking a plane ticket to the UK and Australia and going and telling other stories. And so your support will go a long way to doing that. But let's be honest, uh, it we don't want to run into the example that you just said where it's like surf media is beholden to their advertisers. So as an advertiser, as we had coffee the other morning, it's kind of like, look, I just want to support the show. You and Scott can talk about whatever you want to talk about. If you mention the wetsuits occasionally, great. If not, you don't get around to it. That's fine too. And let's so. be like in this, in the spirit of full transparency, yeah. which you and I both, you know, that's the way we want to want to run our lives. But what I had said to you was, Hey David, like just come by our office, just how you have with album and, you know, run the podcast from here. Just reminding people that we exist right. is enough. Like, I don't want to cram messages down people's throat because, frankly, we don't have, like, I don't, I'm not trying to produce seasonal messages or new ad copy or new ways to convince someone that they need a new wetsuit. I just want to remind people that we exist and doing that by hosting you guys and, you know, uh, saying hi once every month if we're going to do that would be great. I don't know if I can get Scott to drive all the way up here. Fair point. <laughs> <laughs> he pissed me off so bad. Like a couple weeks ago, we meet in San Clemente, right? Halfway. I head south 45 minutes. He heads north 45 minutes, and we meet in the middle. I'm in Huntington Beach driving south. We get done recording two episodes ago. We get up to leave. And I was like, all right, man, well, have a good day. What's up? What are you doing for the rest of the day? He's like, oh, I'm going up to Huntington Beach for a meeting. <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me, dude? <laughs> so we could have met in Huntington Beach. Yeah. He's like, oh, oh, oh I didn't think about that. He's busted. I'm now. like, are yeah. you kidding me? I Every time I'm in San Diego, I tell you I'm there so that we can record. <laughs> I'll figure out some way to lure him up here. There yeah. you go. That's the idea. No. One thing we didn't do in the original conversation we had in November 2016 What's your origin story? Like before you got involved with Need Essentials, can you give me a brief recap of your career? Um, yeah, so I grew up in Seal Beach, uh, you know, grew up doing everything a little kid does and ended up um, falling in love with surfing when I was probably, I don't know, 11 years old. Grew up surfing contests, started, I guess, surfing for Quicksilver as a little sponsored, sponsored amateur when I was 13, I think, um, and fell in love with that company and you know was that was a big part of my you know upbringing is hanging out with Richard Wolcott at NSSA contests and 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 really just loving watching Quicksilver turn into this thing you know that was a five million dollar company when I first started surfing for them in this little tiny warehouse in Costa Mesa to you know a giant you know multi-billion dollar company at one point um, so I started with surfing uh, moved to Australia in high school to pursue that because I thought I wanted to be a professional surfer. Um, that didn't work out, <laughs> as it doesn't for most people. Um, and came home and, you know, finished high school and went to UC Santa Barbara. Um, finished UCSB and one of my um, closest friends, Brian Lindsay, who went to school with me, 
he and I decided that we didn't want to go do the traditional corporate route. So we started a company called ProCam, where we were one of the first um, shaping machine services in Southern California. I think there was KKL down in San Diego, and Sean Jensen had one in Huntington, and I believe we were the third. But we started that didn't know how to turn the machine on when it was delivered, didn't wow. know anything about anything, but we built a nice little business. Um, and I think that that was, for me, the beginning um, of, you know, a, hopefully, a, you know, a long entrepreneurial career. I really enjoyed starting a business. You know, you start by uh, coming up with an idea, you then have to design a process to either design a product or a service. You have to price it. You have to go find customers. You have to hire employees. You have to train them. You have to, you know, do all sorts of things from oh, accounting yeah. to you know what. I mean, you're you're doing this right now. So I I really learned um, through the you know through the school of life. You know how to run a small business there. I did that until I was in my mid twenties. Ended up going back to business school. Um, and when I finished business school, uh, Danny Kwok at Quicksilver said, you know, hey, Colby, you want to come work at Quicksilver because you grew up surfing, but, you know, you also know your way around a calculator, which at that point, you know, in the late 90s was a rare combination. <laughs> it's not anymore, though. So um, true. <laughs> so I went to work at Quick and I worked in, you know, entertainment marketing, which was a blast. And I worked in general management. Uh, running Latin America for the region. Um, I worked in business development when we were uh, acquiring Rosignol and trying to integrate them. I worked um, as the COO of the Americas and then as the president of the Americas. And then, um, and so I had this real broad experience at Quicksilver, which was wonderful. Um, and when the new CEO came in, I was basically sent to the mailroom. Um, and that was when it was, you know, kind of apparent that it was time to, to move back, maybe into something more entrepreneurial. So I went from having 3,000 employees and a billion-dollar P&L, a billion. Like, my dad laughs at that. He so can't crazy. believe it. Yeah. So Ryan and I worked together at Quicksilver, um, developed a friendship. He was, you know, an Australian guy with a, you know, a design background. Who's Ryan? Ryan Scanlon. Scanlon. Who's the founder of Need Essentials. Got um, And, you know... One thing led to another. New CEO comes in, Ryan, uh, who was asked to fire uh, basically 350 of our 400 sponsored surfers. Uh, he couldn't do it. He looked at me and he said, "I'm not. I won't do this." Um, and he moved back to Australia. He'd always lived on a boat. He'd always lived a very simple life. He'd had very high-level jobs. He was a very talented guy, um, but he liked to work hard. Uh, and he liked to, you know, go on his trips, you know, get on his boat and go to New Caledonia or just go sail the east coast of Australia. And he decided um, that this time, instead of quitting his job and going and finding another job, that he would then quit three years later. He just decided, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure out a way to live the life that I want to live on my boat, you know, working hard. But... Um, doing something that, you know, I really love to do that I can manage while living a life that I really want to live. Um, and so he relocated to Yamba, which is just south of Byron Bay. He has an operation in Torquay where all the shipping takes place. So there are employees there and warehouse space and customer service there. So there's 24-7 support. 
Um, Ryan can do everything else that he needs to do to run the business out of Australia from a phone um, and continue to focus on product design and sourcing and all the things that are, you know, um, critical in what we do. Um, he shared the, you know, the concept with me. I was blown away, you know, and I said, Scano, you know, can I do this up here? And he said, well, and this was really important. He said, let me send you the product first. I want to send you a, a range of the wetsuits because if you don't like the product, I don't want you to do it. I said, okay, but I want to do it. And he goes, let me send you the product first. And I said, okay. So he sent me the, the wetsuits and I think you saw them. I think we had like four of them hanging up in the, mm -hmm. in the little Long Beach office. But once I threw the gear on and surfed in them, I was like, you know what, this is, this is something that I want to do. And so it led to me leaving my job at Quicksilver and ordering, you know, a, a purchase order from our factory of, you know, wetsuits and took off from there. How long ago was that? Uh, I think it was probably a little over two years ago. Yeah. Um, I understand the impetus for making those life choices, both for Ryan and yourself, but why wetsuits specifically? There's a lot of wetsuits available to surfers on the market, so why jump into that game? With this business, I looked at it and I was like, this is doing things differently. So yes, there are a million wetsuits in the market, Yes, there is, a, you know, there, there's oversupply in the market, um, but no one is was at that point delivering wetsuits the way that he was delivering them. Explain the model. The model is, um, first of all, you go and you and you figure out exactly who to source from, which we knew from our time at, at our former employer. Um, you figure out how to make a perfect fit in a, in a product that sits right on the precipice of what I'd call diminishing returns. So right before it becomes something that's much more expensive, but not much better. Um, we wanted to figure out how to get to that point where you use the best foam and you use the best jersey and you use the best construction in the best factories. Um, get to that point and say, okay, this is great. We're not going to spend money on um, what I had always called faux innovation. We're not going to fake it and try and sell people technology that isn't technology. We're not going to sell things that aren't proven. So let's figure out what works and let's lean into it. Um, and that's what we did. So we designed a line and worked really hard on fit, worked really hard on construction, worked really hard. Uh, we didn't have to work hard on aesthetics because it's an all black wetsuit with no logos. So we really were all about function um, and performance. And once we got to that point, um, the model then becomes, okay, you figured out the supply chain. <laughs> now you have to figure out how to strip away as much of the unnecessary cost as possible to deliver it for a really you know, fair price uh, to, to, to surfers. So the next thing was, okay, well, how do you, you've got to import these things. You can't spend gobs of money on marketing. You can't, um, you can't have a big sales force. You can't essentially wholesale to retailers because that, that doubles the price of things. So, um, w what the model was figure out design, figure out supply chain, strip away as much cost as possible and then get it into the hands of surfers. And then the next question was, since you've not spent any money in marketing, because that only adds to the cost that a surfer pays for a wetsuit, how do you get the word out? So that's, the, that's I guess, 
that's where we're at right now. The model is now we have to do it through word of mouth or things like this, supporting you um, and giving the best customer service and product experience that we can. Hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely makes sense to me because I've lived it. You know, I've experienced it with you directly before we started, before you even knew I had the podcast. I bought a wetsuit from you, had pleasant interactions both through email and then when I came to pick up the booties. Um, how different is Need Essentials now than when we first connected a year and a few months ago? I think the the main difference is that the product range has expanded. And I think the product range has expanded. Obviously, um, we've got more styles, but we've tried to add, you know, sizes. We've tried to add tall and short sizes and stay in stock in those in those uh, particular sizes. And that's been a hard thing to do, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because you'll have a 6'5", suit um, that skews to the bigger guy, you know. And I don't know why, but maybe <laughs> there aren't a lot of, you know, 120-pound guys surfing in Maine in the, in the snow. But um, trying to figure out the size scales per individual style has been challenging. Um, I've made massive mistakes that seem so small but have been huge around like not having a key loop in our wetsuits you know that was so when we first started talking about our wetsuits that we got from you yeah people started buying and i immediately started hearing feedback people were raving about the suit everybody loved the suits except that was the one thing they were livid. a yeah. number of people reached out they're just like dude i love the suit but where do i put my key it, and it's funny that, and it's and it's really true the way that it worked Ryan drives this piece of crap van in Australia where he literally leaves his keys in his ignition. No one wants his van. Um, and with me, I have like this little VW that has a key that you can't take in the water. Right. So I have like a little safe in my trailer hitch. Right. Um, I didn't even think that anyone cared about that anymore, you know? But that was like, that's a perfect example of us being maybe tone deaf. Um, sure. Yeah, and so now we aren't. <laughs> so do the new wetsuits have key They loops? all do. Oh, yeah. uh, okay. One final question. You talked about the product range developing. What does the product range look like? When I met you, it was wetsuits and booties. What do you got now? Uh, we've expanded the range of wetsuits to include women's and kids. Women's are coming in a couple of months, excuse me, in a couple of weeks. Um, we have an outerwear range and a little lineup of insulators for the mountains. So you can go snowboarding and skiing in our gear. Um, and we, you know, we have traction and leashes and some little ancillary products like that that we've taken the time to really build in the right factories, but have really taken this approach that if you need it to go on a surf trip, if you need it to go to the mountains, we're going to make it for you. We're going to make it really high quality. Um, we're going to make it for a fair price. What's a 3-2 full suit cost? 160 Perfect. Yeah. It's a killer deal, dude. It is a killer deal. I'll be honest. That was the that was the um, what made me purchase the original wetsuit. It was price. It was mainly price. It's it, funny because everyone has a low priced offering now. We want we want you to get that three two and for you to pop it on and jump in the water and say, oh my gosh, like this feels amazing. I mean, that's. I guess I guess my my what I should have stated is my understanding of wetsuits certainly at that point was everybody's making a good wetsuit at this point. Yeah. Every wetsuit brand, they all have pretty similar pricing structures. And when you're paying 
the top tier, they're all kind of equivalent. When you're paying the bottom tier, they're all kind of equivalent across the brands. Mm -hmm. And I saw a need as an opportunity to get this high quality tier for the 160 price that you're talking about. So I wasn't concerned about what the quality would be because I knew enough about it that it was made in the same, you know, right. same to the same specs. And I was confident about that. I just realized I could get it for half the price, basically. And I don't so. think that we've done a, a good enough job explaining to people that it's not a you get what you pay for type situation. It isn't, yeah. no. And, th and that's, you know, that's one of the reasons I guess we're doing this is to talk about the efficiency of the business model because it doesn't have the waste you're sitting in a you know 500 square foot office right now and that's it right you know? yeah it's not um and there there are no private jets and no <laughs> <laughs> there's the occasional trip to hawaii but that's about it <laughs> uh all right well give me the call to action website social. yeah so it's neatessentials.com um and we have a little office slash showroom in seal beach um near huntington 1650 pch I love having people here. You're here right now. I love having people swing by and just kind of shoot the breeze about what we're doing and get their hands on the product. And I, that's the most important thing is like getting people in to touch and feel the product, try it on and talk to them about what we're doing and let them know that this isn't some factory direct scheme uh, that you've all heard before. It's, it's, a, it's a surf shop, but it's, you know, delivered online. Yeah. So if somebody buys a wetsuit in the U.S., they buy direct from you. I mean, you're the one-man show. Correct. And in Australia, yeah. it's Ryan. It's Ryan. That's it. Yeah. And awesome. in Europe, it's James. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you, Rob. I will keep you listeners posted on various product updates and what I'm using and all that sort of stuff over on Spit with Scott Bass. Rob also got a booth at the boardroom show which is taking place on May 5th and 6th in Del Mar. That's what Scott Bass runs every year. Um, that's his project. So you can connect with Rob there in person, and uh, I'll be there too, of course. So at any rate, without further ado, here's my little told origin story on Swell Season with host Tyler Brewer. Enjoy. All right. We're here, Swell Season Surf Radio. I am your host, Tyler Brewer, and I am here with a very special guest, Mr. David Lee Scales of Surf Splendor. Oh my god, I can't believe it's happening. It's awesome to finally see the chop hop in person. How's it looking? <laughs> I think it looks awesome. Dude. I, I used to have that when I had hair. <laughs> so yesterday was my three-year anniversary. Of the chop hop? Three-year anniversary of ne not washing. The oh, chop hop. No way. Literally zero shampoo. Get out. For three years as of yesterday. Well, your hair looks vibrant, Thank very you. full, very uh, natural as well. Like it, I'm it not, stays. I'm not going to make you touch it or smell it, but Brittany can attest. <laughs> it actually is very healthy and fragrance free. Wow. So I, I would try that, but. I don't really need to. <laughs> you could do it with the beard. I could. I could. But, you know, you need the beard oil and stuff, you know, so it doesn't get too in your face. And normally it's shorter, though. <laughs> okay. Well, not to interrupt your intro, but no, before the... listeners get completely disgusted and yeah. shut this off, <laughs> there's a scientific theory behind this. It's not that I'm just lazy enough to not wash my hair for three years. I know the theory. I've heard it on your show. You and Chaz discussing it, actually, okay. on The Grit. Okay. So, no, I'm very familiar with your theory. Uh, for all our listeners, though, yeah, yeah, it's not not my theory. No. It's a theory, though. But it, I'm abiding by it. 
Well, natural oils. That's the thing. So there's natural oils, shampoo strips them away, Mm -hmm. and then conditioner adds, attempts to add them back, you know? (laughs) So people have only been using shampoo since, I don't know what, the 50s, like the mid-1900s. And so I had super greasy hair. And growing up, it was like if I didn't wash my hair for two days, Mm. it went into hyperdrive of greasiness because it was used to it being stripped to dryness. So it was overproducing. Once you get to about five days of no washing, it finds its equilibrium and balance. Mm. And then you're just golden. Day six until like three years, literally, have been exactly the same. Like it hasn't gotten dirtier or greasier. I rinse it, of course, scrub it out with my hands, but no shampoo. I have to tell my wife. She uses the dry shampoo. How does that work? I have no clue. It's a Mm. thing. She goes, but I don't know. Because people always ask me that. They're like... I'm like, no, I don't shampoo. And they're like, oh, so you use dry shampoo? And I'm like, no, that is also shampoo. I do not <laughs> shampoo. So. I, I I used to say as a, as a grommet when I had hair, like everyone used to come in like, oh, how do you get your hair like that? And I'm like, salt water. Yes. Yeah. Just, just surfing in salt water. I was like my natural hairspray. Absolutely. You know, that's yeah. what I felt like. Yeah, just adds some volume to it, kind of. <laughs> and a little, little little bit of bleach blonde, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Highlights. Somebody commented on a photo of Chaz and I on Instagram. They're like, you guys both highlight your hair? And I was like, well, Chaz probably does. He might. He, might. he probably does. But no, I don't. So, to get started, like, I feel like we're kind of kindred spirits in some ways. Is it weird to say that? Like, no. I feel like I'm an East Coast version of you, and especially seeing you in person. We have a similar height, minus the hair on me. Like, we have a music selection. Like, you pick music, and I'm like, dude, is he lifting from my playlist? Like, it's always just that I'm listening to this. You know, like you you sent me that video that you made, um, you know, with your trip to Nicaragua, and I'm like, oh, I use this song in my video that yeah. I made too. So it's, I think it's really funny, and for. You know, I think, yeah, I don't know. I, I thought, I feel like a connection to you. Maybe you probably get this from a lot of your listeners, you know, but I I always like, oh, man, no, I totally identify with you in some ways. Yeah, I mean, I think maybe if you didn't, you yeah. probably, you might have stopped listening at some point. So there's, <laughs> it's kind of a self-selecting yeah. sample if I do hear that from my listeners. But the other thing is, I, what I have found to be true yeah. is... Um, there's an intimacy in the podcast medium that doesn't exist in television or mm-hmm. writing or anything like that where you just feel like you know somebody. You listen yeah. to them every week or maybe mm-hmm. it's every day depending on how often they publish yeah. and you feel like you get to know them. And I've thought that it might be even further and more intimate than that in that if you're listening with earbuds, yeah, the vocals are actually in your orifices, totally. which is particularly, Ooh. it's physically intimate yeah. at that point. So I just, I certainly feel like I have a kinship with the shows that I listen to. Yeah. So I know exactly what you're talking about. But then when it's surf related, of course, that's an additional layer of just. Well, well there's the, that commonality. And then like, yeah. I think also the time period we both grew up in, you're 36, I'm 39. Yeah. Is we're 90s momentum generation kids. And we all had the same influences. Same influences, same base, I think, of like uh, surf style, uh, aesthetic, uh, music, you know, punk, you know, which evolved kind of even like with Taylor Steele, you know, it's like the, his music selection evolved and so did ours. So it's kind of, I don't know, I think maybe it's a generational thing, possibly. It is. And there were a lot fewer influences yeah. back then, too. I yeah. think now the reason why we see such diversity in surfing is because kids are growing up with. Everything. completely different influences yeah. like they're picking to only watch 
longboarding from yeah. these filmmakers. Mm-hmm. Somebody else is watching longboarders from other filmmakers. Totally. When we were kids, it was like there was one new movie ever, one new Taylor Steele movie every yeah. year. Yeah, you know, and that no. was it. Exactly, so. you know, and then all the others that copied it, you know. Yeah. So I mean that we we kind of had that. So yeah, probably I, I guess like yeah. So we probably it's that base knowledge that that we kind of all grew up with. Yeah, I agree. So um, let's begin with the David Scaleism. Mm. Tell us. I don't more. know what that is. Oh, it's like one of your questions. I'm oh, throwing it okay. back to you. Okay. Okay. Um, you know, so tell us your origin story. You you grew up in the OC, the the heart of the surf world and the indi- in the industry. You're a product of the momentum generation with uh, hero worship to Kern and Aki to a certain extent. You know, can you can you tell our listeners and and your listeners what what was Gromithood like for you? Um, not as like surf centric maybe as mm. people might assume. I've kind of always felt like an outsider in surfing. And even still, to be honest, I think that'll just kind of always be a part of my identity. That's probably partly why also I feel like a connection to you because I think... I'm branding it, dude. I'm like, I'm because I think there's more of us than there are core beach kids. You know what I mean? And so I'm I'm embracing it and just... It took me a while to even um, process it or to realize it. And I think I have just in the last couple of years. And then I have this conversation with people who agree the same thing and... It's like I'm a lifelong intermediate mm-hmm. from the outside looking in, yeah. you know, and and uh, but the reason why I feel that way to answer your question is I didn't grow up at the beach. So yeah. I grew up 30 minutes away from the beach and would go there as often as I could. But, you know, I was dependent on my parents for car rides mm-hmm. or the public bus system. Yeah. And started on a boogie board, so that's not cool. And well, we all kind of did. You so know? when you're young, yeah. you don't know it's not yeah. cool. And then you get to be... Uh, a young teenager ridiculed by the kids who are standing up and also the kids that live at the beach. Yeah. And I kind of realized really quickly that I needed to get a surfboard. So I think I started surfing at 12 or 13. Mm-hmm. Um, garage sale surfboard, you know, and um, do you remember, hand me down wetsuit. Do you wetsuit. remember what it was? I don't remember my first, but I remember some of the early ones. Mm-hmm. I remember my grandma bought a Hawk surfboard, which was a Huntington Beach yeah. shaper. No, I'm very familiar with it. Are you? Yeah. Yeah, I can't even remember the last time I saw one. But it had like, it was an 80s style tri-fin thick, kind of shorter board. And um, had like really radical 80s graphics on it. And so that was really cool. It was like um, like blocks that were all like stacked, almost like the, the pattern on the bedspread. Yeah. And then as you got further up away from the tail, they were like dissipating away mm-hmm. from one another. It was a <laughs> totally full on 80s. I know that. <laughs> um, and so I think she got it for 20 bucks. Actually, another great story. She bought a Mark Richards, an MR, oh. for 20 bucks from a garage sale. She bought it for my younger brother, who was like a kid at the time. Where's that now? I took it off her. I was like, I, she gave it to my little brother, and then I, told, I turned to him, and I was like, I'll give you a, essentially brand new shortboard for that old yellow piece of crap. And that just wording it that way, he's like, all right, done deal made the swap wow so he never really got into surfing so he doesn't even care but <laughs> i still cherish that 20 dollar garage sale find um so yeah you know once i kind of got into surfing and then i was teenager got a car mm. and i was doing that 30 minute tr- 30 minute trek yeah all the time yeah. and um as often as possible i remember being in 11th grade ditching class like loading i had a 89 no i'm sorry 80 68 yeah. Mustang. 68 white Mustang. What? 
and I'd jam the board. I'd lay the front seat down, lay the board there, mm-hmm. so my mom couldn't see it when I was leaving for school. Go to school for like one class, and then bail down to the trestles, yes. surf trestles all day. Come back to school for like the last class. I don't know why I even went to the first. There has to be a reason. You liked the teacher. You were being respectful. It, maybe it might have been to get like signed in and signed out or something to where like they wouldn't. My mom wouldn't realize I was gone most of the day. Um, so I was trying to pull that, and that was like a forty-five or fifty-minute drive. So I was doing that. But were you the only surfer in your school at the time, or were there others that you you surfed with? Instagram, Shreddy HB, oh, Ted Navarro. He, oh my God, follow him. I love his clips. He and I were the only two. Wow. He obviously became a much better surfer than I did. Dude, and he's like, awesome. Even at that time, he was like writing, I think he was like on a flow program from yeah. Lost and, and Rip Curl, I think. Um, so he and I were the only two. He was a grade older than me. Yeah. So I kind of looked up to him and wanted to hang with him. And... Uh, but he's like you said, like with the Instagram, he's become he's, the most popular he's ever been. Yeah. He has kids who surf that he like takes in the water with him and does tons he of GoPro rips. footage and he stuff. Rips, Surfs great, man. like that's hilarious. Yeah, now, so it's, it's funny because I have a similar like me, like I same thing. Only like one other kid did my school surf and had to drive like a half hour, forty five minutes. Yeah, you know? and I think that shapes your identity and relationship to surfing. You know, it makes you appreciate it, but also um, I think it makes you feel like an outsider. Well, I, th- I, I now wonder if yeah. I would have become as obsessed with surfing if yeah. he wasn't there. Yeah. You know, like I had somebody to kind of look at who was doing it more successfully than me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, well, if he can do it, I can do it. But yeah. I might have just equally gotten into skateboarding or something else, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that was that was it, I guess. But still, again, feeling like an outsider because everywhere, every beach I went to, mm-hmm. there was certainly people who lived at that beach and yeah. would be considered locals. Mm-hmm. So I always just felt like an outsider. Um, and yeah, still kind of stick with that. And, then you, and you studied psychology at university. Yeah. And was your initial intention to go into the psych field or, and work outside the surf industry? Because you, you ended up making like videos and documenting surfing like, how did you get into that? <laughs> How do you go from there to there? I never had any real strong direction in my life yeah. uh, professionally. Mm-hmm. You talk to a lot of kids who like know what they want to be when they're really young. That was definitely not me. Yeah. And so going into college, um, my dad recommended I get an MBA. Mm-hmm. He's like, study business. You'll always be able to use it no matter what field you go into. I was like, I'm not going to do what you tell me to do. I don't want to study business. <laughs> and I was like, I like people, you yeah. know, and I like talking. And I was always like in high school, the guy that friends relied on for relationship advice and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So I was I, I was interested in psychology. So I just started studying that by default. Yeah. And um, wasn't passionate about it, but I was definitely engaged in it and interested in it. And I had been working in restaurants through high school and, again, through college and developed a passion and an interest for wine. And so um, working with wine in college transitioned from, like, kind of being a server in restaurants to doing some wine buying. And that became a big passion and uh, got out of college and immediately started working in the wine industry. Really? And then very shortly thereafter, like a year and a half maybe after college, I opened up. A retail wine store oh, yeah and my dad pointed the finger. he's like i told you you should have got your mba <laughs> like literally a year and a half after graduating i'm 
owning I owned a business, you yeah. know, that I would have used the MBA for. So um, my dad was right. I still I won't tell him that still today, but he was right. Um, but but I actually when I got out of college or when I was finishing that bachelor's degree with psychology, I kind of had the intention of going to grad school. Mm-hmm. And again, without a lot of direction, I just thought this is the next logical step. Yeah. If I'm just going to use a bachelor's degree in psychology, you can't really make much money doing it. There's not a lot of opportunities. Wow. So I was like, well, I could do clinical work. I could very much see myself doing clinical work, mm-hmm. PhD level. So I'll, I'll do that, but I want to take time off. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not like motivated for it right now. And um, I got a, a job or a job offer from a retailer. I was going to Cal State Long Beach. Mm-hmm. Got a job offer from a retailer in Long Beach, full-time job, kind of doing the wine buying. Yeah. And uh, I took it with the intention of just doing it for a year and then maybe going to grad school yeah. afterwards. And that ended up parlaying into, like I said, my own business, which I did for five years or so. And I got to ask, yeah. did you have any crossover then with like Josh Hall? You know, no, he was he at Long Beach? The, well, he used to work in the wine industry. Oh. He's like a big wine connoisseur too, and I just thought maybe there might be some crossover that might have been, because it would have been around the same time, yeah. actually. We're going to cross over in the future. Yeah. It hasn't happened yet. Um, I know, uh, obviously I know of him, and we've been talking about me having him as a guest, yeah. interviewing him on the podcast. He's the best. He's Is the he? Best. He's just lovely and yeah. smart and really interesting and he yeah used to be in the wine industry yeah and <laughs> you're you're not the first person that mentioned that to me yeah and i keep thinking to myself that i've got to bring that up with him yeah i want to hear an episode where you guys are like comparing wine instead mm-hmm. of surfboards you know <laughs> we could do a wine podcast together you could i think that'd be awesome yeah so so then you you were in the had your own wine business and then you what happened it was like, really gnarly um i did it it was basically a five-year lease, a retail wine, like thousand square foot retail wine shop, yeah. and then additionally, I right behind it had a thousand square foot of wine locker storage. Yeah. So it's temperature, humidity controlled. All the clients, basically, it's for people who don't have enough space at home for the mm-hmm. wine they collect. They rent off-site storage, and the wines that they're aging, generally, it's stuff that you don't want to drink for a decade. Yeah two, three, or four decades, let's say. So you don't really need it in your house anyway. It's actually a temptation to have it in your house. So they prefer offsite storage. And so all those clients just had key card access and the business, the locker was accessible 24 seven, but there were no employees. People mm-hmm. could just come and go at their own leisure with their key cards. That's brilliant. It was, it's a great business. Um, and then the thousand square foot of retail that I had basically fulfilled that, you know, yeah. certainly supported it. And I worked mainly with hard to find, exclusive, like very low production wines. Those type of wineries basically just want a conscientious retailer who will really kind of tell their story. And I was that guy. And so my clients had that expectation of me as well. They're not coming to me for Kendall Jackson or Robert Mondavi (laughs) or something like that. They're coming. No, El Gato Negro. No, <laughs> no, but they are coming in and just going, hey, I got 30 bucks to spend on a Chardonnay. Yeah. Like, what is the best $30 Chardonnay on the market? Yeah. You know? And um, and then, of course, with that wine locker storage business, it was like, oh, well, uh, I could call people and just be like, hey, we got three cases of this super exclusive mm. thing. And they'd be like, all right, give me a case and then nice. we'll just move it into their locker for them. But it was all consuming. So I did it. 
I was 26 when I signed that lease. And again, had a five-year lease, had it till I was 31. And it just became completely all-consuming. Like I wasn't surfing really at all. Mm. Um, and working 80 hours a week. Really, it it became successful very quickly and kind of I maximized the amount of business that we could do there within mm-hmm. the first two years, I realized I would need to move. Mm-hmm. And um, so when the lease kind of came up at the five-year mark, I either needed to bring on financial investment to move to a new location, um, or, or that was basically it. Uh, and I just really wasn't willing to do it anymore. In that five years, wow. I kind of lost the passion for it. I really enjoyed growing the business, but once it was kind of at full capacity and I'm working a ton and working that ton and maximizing the revenue, it wasn't enough to like get rich off of. It was enough to make a living. And then you're working to exhaustion and you're not passionate about it anymore. And I just kind of had to look in the mirror and I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. And if I bring on financial investment, I'm now committed to new people with a new five, 10 year commitment. And I don't really have the energy for it. And I, I started getting back into surfing somewhere in that the end of that five years mm. and started exploring filmmaking. That's one thing that you were asking about. Yeah. And I was able to kind of, I met, I had a number of, the thing is with wine, you're dealing with a lot of affluent clientele yeah. and a lot of them are self-made. And so they were sympathetic to me and they could see the burnout and they knew what burnout was about. So I had a number of people step up and just go, hey dude, we can see what's happening here and um, we believe in you. Like, I'll write you a check. Where, where do you wanna go? How do you wow. wanna grow this business? And so I had all the opportunity to do whatever I wanted with that yeah. business and I just completely walked away. I, I told them, I was That's like, look. Ballsy. It was ballsy. That's incredible. I That's just awesome. told, I remember specifically going to lunch with one guy and just saying, hey, your, your offer is incredible and I would love to take you up on it, but I'd be lying to you if I did. Mm-hmm. So let me take a year off and then we'll revisit this conversation in a year. And he was like, I completely get it and I completely support that and let's revisit it in a year. And a year, we kind of kept in contact over the year. And even within like the six month mark, I knew there was never, I was never going back. (laughs) It was like, it is so far in my rear view mirror that I so don't care. And I have tremendous reverence for that five years. And like I learned more about business and life and myself and all sorts of stuff than you could ever learn through college yeah. or anything like that. Um, so tremendous reverence for it, but never want to go back to it again. You know, just crazy. That's really courageous. Thanks. You know, I mean, to to turn your back on what could have been quite lucrative and have the financial support to just say, no, I'm not into it. And and there's something I, I always find interesting with, with a lot of people is when they turn their passions into their work. Mm-hmm. It's, I've experienced it too. You, you stop loving the thing that you were passionate about, you know, because it becomes your work. And there's a real fine line with that. And, you know, I think to, to be able to pull away is a very difficult thing. And to turn your back on Something that could have been really good and stable, uh, you know, for something more unknown, I think is, yeah, it, it's it's awesome. I, I appreciate it. It was, wasn't even a decision I had to make. It was yeah. like already made. Yeah. I, I did not care about wine anymore. Yeah. Once I left the business, I honestly didn't drink wine for like a solid year. Wow. I just did not care. And um, it lost all of its allure. So... 
yeah, it wasn't even a decision. It was just, and I and I, one hundred percent believed I could yeah. rebuild it again if I needed to. Yeah, and I may, and I told I had honest dialogue with all our clientele and our suppliers mm-hmm. about it. Yeah, and they all supported it. They're like, nice. you're a young guy and you're burned out. This sucks to watch. Yeah. So yeah, take time that you need, and we'll be here for you when we come back. When you come back. And then you so. just what like kind of hung out for no I so to get back to the surfing conversation yeah. I so even though I didn't grow up at the beach you know like yeah. shreddy HB and yeah. I knew I had friends all who or friends who went on to become pro surfers mm-hmm. Brett Simpson among them yeah. the names that you would know from Huntington Beach Mike oh, yeah. Micah Byrne yeah no stuff all like those that. guys absolutely so I had maintained relationships with them and when i was kind of in that uh burnout i would go to the beach in the morning sometimes mm-hmm. and it's december and the water's cold yeah. and the waves are crappy and i got to go to work at 10 and i couldn't find the motivation to surf because yeah. i was in this funk but i always loved filmmaking i grew up watching the films that you were talking yeah. about and so i'm like well if sippo's paddling out i got a camera i was yeah. also i grew up i was into photography growing up so I'm like, I'll just film Sippo session. Mm-hmm. So then I'd film Sippo surf and then go to work in the wine shop and like have some downtime and I'd edit the video together. Yeah. And I just developed a passion for film, surf filmmaking. Final Cut or iTunes movie? Neither, believe it or not. I was using Adobe Premiere. Damn. Yeah. Fucking hardcore. Yeah, because I was running on a PC or <laughs> at work I had a PC. <laughs> yeah. You know? So... um I was basically documenting the daily sessions that would go on, and I started this blog called One Hour in HB because yeah. I usually had like one hour in the morning mm-hmm. to film before I went to work, and it became like my whole objective with it was it, I knew I was never going to make like the raddest surf films because the waves are marginal, you know, and it was the same people all the time. Keep in mind you're talking to someone from the East Coast here. <laughs> that, yeah, they're surfable, yeah, right. but they're still marginal. <laughs> marginal. Um, so my whole objective with One Hour in HB was just to represent the vibe of that morning. Yeah. Like, who was there? What were the waves like? What was the weather like? And, like, if you didn't get to go to the beach that morning, you could show up at work and then check One Hour in HB and be like, oh, this was the session that went down yeah. this morning. Sippo was out. Teddy was out. Whatever. And... Um, it just generated, it gained a following, you know? Like, I made 300 short films. I and I saw that. I was super impressed. Yeah, well, I mean, they're crappy, you know? Like, they're not good. And I would not only only film for an hour, but I would edit them within a short period of time as well. But again, not trying to make high art. It was just representing the vibe of the day. Yeah. And it developed a following. And so um, Quicksilver is in Huntington Beach, and they had a lot of young local guys, Kanoa Igarashi yeah. among them. And so at some point, Quicksilver hit me up and they were just like, dude, we'll give you a retainer if you just always film with our guys. And if Dane comes into town or whoever, Ballroom at the time, yeah. and Kiran Jabor was yeah. on the team at the time, Clay Marzo, yeah. whenever these guys come through, um, tag along with them. And I was like, yeah, awesome. I'll do that. So Quicksilver gave me that contract while I was still running the wine shop. Shit. And understanding my obligation to the wine shop but when I left the wine shop, it was kind of an easy stepping stone where I was able to leave that wine behind and go, okay, well, I can dabble more in the surf world. Mm. And so I did that. And um, pretty quickly, I'd say within a year, got tired of working with video. Yeah. I was just like, 
I, I don't have anything unique to say. And like on, after you've, you've made 300 videos in Huntington Beach yeah. with the same surfers, you run out of things to say. Mm-hmm. And I, all along that time, was listening to podcasts. I was listening to This American Life. Yes. I was listening to The Moth. Yes. And I was like, I want to find surf podcasts. And there was nothing. none. Scott Bass was, it. was doing Down the Line Radio. Yeah. But it was always, it was published very intermittently. Yeah. And he would come on the air, and at the end of the episode, he'd be like, all right, we'll be next, back next week with a new episode. And, then he and I'm like, sweet. And then two months would go by, and there'd be nothing. <laughs> and then the audio quality was very suspect as yeah. well. Like, some episodes would be crystal clear. Some would be kind of, you know, garbled to where yeah. I couldn't even actually listen. So I just realized, I was like, I have an entrepreneurial spirit. Mm-hmm. I have access to the surf industry. And... I love this medium and I understand the medium I feel yeah. like really well. And you're a psych major, so and that I'm helps. a psych major. You I didn't know. even think about that detail. That totally plays into it. You know how to talk to people and active listen. And pouring wine for five years. Yeah. Like, because we do wine tastings, you're like a bartender, exactly. which is the equivalent to a therapist, yeah. essentially. It's, it's, oper- it's doing the same task anyway. <laughs> um, so while I was still doing one hour in HB, I just kind of transitioned and started doing interviews long form interviews yeah and funny thing those first i don't know a couple dozen episodes i recorded with a video camera yeah because i didn't have audio uh like proper audio mics i just my video camera mic was good enough yeah i would film the interview and then just Take pull the out the audio and use that as the podcast i mean i remember when you started i was just like awesome finally and they were good i was i was really psyched to have that like and it, it's funny because I had always had an intention, like I'd always wanted to do something like this too. So hearing you is so inspiring and really nice. And yeah, you know, I, I think actually I reached out to you once in the first year of Surf Splendor. I was like, I was doing a surf film festival in New York, Smash Fest. Yeah. And I was like, hey, if you ever want to come out to New York, I'd love to have you come. And then. And then I just decided I'm not doing another festival. Fuck that shit. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. You only did one? Well, I used to do the New York Surf Film Festival. Right. And that then ended after three years with, for me because of lawsuit and stuff that I can't talk about. Jeez Louise. Um, Thank you. But then I was like, well, I'm still not going to stop. I'm going to continue on and doing this because I love it. And I'm the true person who, who wanted to do the festival and all that. So I... Um, yeah, so I did did it one year in you know, Smash Fest in 2012, I think. Yeah, 2012 or 2013. And I was just burnt after, and I also lost a lot of money. So yeah. New York doing an event is not cheap. Sure. You know, it's really expensive. So, yeah, I, and I burnt out on it. I just really just didn't want to do it. I didn't. I was just going through the motions. Right. You know. Well, um, I do remember you reaching out to me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. But um, so, were you surprised at how how Surf Splendor took off so much? Um, I don't know. I I wouldn't say surprised. I was always. I've always been really grateful. Yeah. You know, like and like really warmed by it, mm-hmm. but not surprised because I really believe in the medium. You know, yeah. it's like I know. The value of podcasting yeah. and it's the wild west still yeah. in podcasting where you could say whatever you want to say you it's just there's something really unique about the medium yeah. that i really really believed in and there weren't 
that type of storytelling and access to individuals I just was not being executed in other mediums. Yeah. The int- like I said, the intimacy, um, people that I had always wanted to hear from as a fan of surfing just were never really fully excavated wow. in the print platform or the video platform. Or it's limited in the print it platform where they edit it down. You don't get the full interview and you got to pay for print, you know, whereas totally. this is free to put it out there pretty much or cheap. Totally. Yeah. And the same goes with video. It's yeah. edited as well. And like our simultaneously, our attention spans were just getting shorter and shorter with video mm-hmm. where it was like, oh, if no. anything's more than three minutes, I'm not even going to click that. Yeah. So that limited the exploration of interview and long form interview. So I was just like, well, I'm going to lean into the podcast thing. And even though our attention spans are getting shorter with visuals, it seems to not affect the audio medium. If anything, I think our audio attention span has gotten greater. Or or similar to what it was in the radio's heydays back in the 50s. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, so I, I wasn't surprised by it. I kind of expected that other people would want the same thing that I wanted. Mm-hmm. I didn't um, think that I was necessarily like gifted or talented at it. I was just the only one doing it consistently. Mm-hmm. And and I had access, which other people didn't have. Well, one thing I will say, like, you know, if you listen to one of your earlier episodes and you listen to one of your later ones now, like you have improved so much. Like one thing I have to give you kudos on is you've, you've actively improved. It seems like you've taking criticism or critiques and have or have listened to yourself and really worked on a lot of things that that you know some people wouldn't do and i think it's it shows in in the quality of your product that you put out thanks i um i would never go listen to one of the originals just for the record because i'd be so embarrassed there's some good ones though i'd be mortified man (laughs) even like even the new one i still don't listen to like recent episodes it's I'm mortified because I I do think that uh, I have improved and I would hate to hear what the original version was like. But I but I the reason why I think I've improved is because I'm getting better um, interviews out of people like, you know, like that Jamie Brissick episode, for example, (sighs) which I'm proud of. You should be. I wouldn't have gotten that out of Jamie in the early days. Yeah. You know, and and. Jamie, first of all, brought his A game, so he's the one to thank for that episode. He is. I could just listen and talk to him for days. Totally. He is so dreamy. <laughs> you know, like he's Fred from Scooby Doo, man. <laughs> I'll tell him you said that. No, I'm going to see him on Saturday. I Are think. you really? Yeah, I'm going to see him tomorrow. I think. Uh, Do you know one another? Or? Well, yeah, I I had done a live Q and A with him for like an hour and a half in front of a live audience oh, okay. uh, in New York uh, years ago, and I we prepped. I went and hung out at his at his old apartment with him and Giselle and just totally geeked out on surf with him. Like I got to ask all these like nuanced little things like what was so and so like back in the day on tour, you know, like getting all the gossip and dirt and I uh, just totally geeked out for two nights leading up to the interview. I That's would go funny. over and just totally I, I could talk to him. He's so full of good stories. That was such a good interview. Well, though, thanks. You did like it. It it captured where he's at now perfectly. I think. Thank you. And yeah, that's so. That's a thing. He is a communicator. Yeah. So that's important when you're interviewing somebody, and yeah. he, he's willing to talk. 
he's very articulate yeah. and then and he's obviously um he's just a deep thinker yeah because he's a writer you know yeah. but then additionally he's open yeah. you know he's very open like his wife dying his the things that he's gone his brother dying yeah. too. like the things that he's gone through are really intense stuff that i'm not sure everybody would talk openly about but i he's processed it enough and he's self-aware enough and he's a writer you, yeah as a as a proper writer you have to be in touch with those things and be willing to expose that if you really want to get to good writing yeah. you have to you have to open yourself up I right think. you know i truly believe that's a, a mark of a good writer is being able to tap into their vulnerability and right. expose themselves so that the reader can totally. feel comfortable with them you know i agree and if it were the early days of me interviewing, yeah. I don't think I would have had the courage to really even ask him about some of those yeah. things. But I was able, you know, again, just with enough repetition under my belt, just to kind of develop a rapport where he wouldn't feel offended by me bringing that sort of thing up. Yeah. So. Now, are you are you comfortable with being in the public eye now? With the, the you know, because the podcast has really taken off, like you, you kind of are a known quantity clearly because you got invited to the surf ranch. Yeah, you know, we'll, we'll get into that. Um, but you know, so there's clearly like people are watching you and listening, no doubt. Slater is probably listening to you, the WSL is probably listening to you. Uh, you know, you, you've already mentioned, you know, a little bit before we start, like, you know, some other corporations are listening. <laughs> Are, are you comfortable with that attention? How do you handle that? Or are you even aware of it? Um, yeah. I mean, I'm aware of it for sure yeah. because I have conversations with the people that you're talking about. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm definitely comfortable with it. I mean, the reality is like, look, it's not celebrity. You know no, what I mean? So no. it's like Inf very far. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, it's, it's so far from celebrity that yeah. it's kind of like, well, if all these people who I feel like I already kind of have access to and know, yeah. know me, I'm okay with that. Yeah. You know, it's it's certainly not like we, um, like I get recognized, like, you know. Wait, but you get a random guy from New York being like, hey, man, I want to interview you. Here's, I, I've told this story. I, I forget where, which episode I told it on. But Brittany and I were at a concert mm -hmm. inland. It was like in Pomona, which yeah. is like 30 miles from the coast. And it was not a surf-related band at all. Yeah. And we were sitting there um, just having a drink or something, and some random guy walked by and called me out and recognized me. He's like, dude, David, I listen to your podcast. Yeah. And that was my one moment of, yeah. like, felt like fame. But it's so infrequent yeah. that it's – it. Um, it yeah, it's like it's a non-issue, you know. Uh, but the fact that, like, somebody from a corporation in the surf industry is listening – it yeah I, I I'm fully okay with that, and yeah. Does it does it affect what you say because good. there's weight with what you say now? Right, that's a good question. It does make me take it a little more seriously. Yeah. I used to say things kind of flippantly. Yeah. And didn't really care. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not worried about. I guess. What I what I am worried about is. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Yeah. Like I'm not worried about saying something that like was perceived as mm. uh, an affront to a company. Yeah. But what I've found out is there's somebody in that company who put a lot of heart and soul into that project that I'm talking about <laughs> yeah. and they're bummed out. They're like, dude, I really worked hard on this project and 
man, the fact that David thinks it sucks makes me sad. And that I, you just don't want to, I don't want to make anybody sad, yeah. you know? But the reality is like, uh, the reality is certain board shorts suck. The, if the campaign, <laughs> if the campaign sucked or if the wetsuit ripped or yeah. if the boards are made, um, inferior, inferiorly, or just like yeah. without responsible business practices mm-hmm. or whatever it is, then I definitely feel certain. I, I more than anything, I feel an allegiance to the listenership. Yeah. And so if what I'm saying is informative and educational for the listenership, mm-hmm. then that trumps all. Mm-hmm. You know, I would not I would not compromise that relationship mm-hmm. to tow a company line or to like make sure so as not to offend yeah. the company or the person. What um what is your relationship to like the surf industry? And and I want to Yeah. I want to um Distinguish. There's a difference, I think, maybe what the surf industry is. To me, the surf industrial complex is mostly clothing and some of the hardware. Uh, I I actually keep. I think surfboards and and anything that goes into board building is kind of separate because they're not nearly as profitable as the the guys in in you know Billabong, Quicksilver, or whatever you want to call it, Quickabong, Quickabong. Now I guess it is. Um, you know, what is your relationship to those guys? Do you, do you have that? Do you see those people often? Do you feel like, do you go to events and be like, oh, they're so-and-so and and they know me or whatever? I don't really go to events. I I kind of try to avoid public events, um, just because I don't enjoy them. But I do communicate with a lot of those people and a lot of them have reached out to me as fans of the show. Yeah. Like I, I have... Like I mentioned, I did video work for Quicksilver. Yeah. I've written for some of the magazines and mm-hmm. done video work for some of the magazines. So I've had professional relationships with a lot of different people. Mm-hmm. And the surf industry is so small and incestuous yeah. that everybody knows everybody. Yeah. So I do feel like I'm kind of one degree removed from everybody. Mm-hmm. And I've, but then additionally, with doing the podcast, a lot of people have reached out to me just as fans of the show. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'll get email. It, not going to name drop no. on air but i'll tell you off air it's just like so and so emails me and i'm just like oh my god that's, that's my childhood hero can you believe this like look at this email um so little moments like that are rad but um it doesn't i, I i'm in a in a predicament currently which we just kind of talked about yeah. before i pushed record we pushed record which was like look if i'm going to bring on sponsors to the show yeah how to you know Every other surf media publication that's come before has fallen into kind of the same rut where you take money from surf brands Mm -hmm. and then you end up doing press releases for them, essentially. You end up talking about their team riders. You end up talking about their products, uh, both in the advertisement portion of what you're doing and then in the editorial portion of what you're doing. So I've kind of made a conscious decision to, or I have made a conscious decision to take non-endemic dollars and just be like, look, I this will not affect the content of the show, but we can fund the show and the growth of the the program. And as I've been doing that, I started having a conscious about it yeah. and thinking, well, my listeners are actually using this product. Yeah. And now I'm funneling dollars out of the surf industry. Yeah. So that's created a little bit of a dilemma for me, but I think I've also developed the solution but, to it. But the the health insurance thing, I think, is perfect for it. And and then like you you did something, I think 
you you promoted something like the Motai yeah. board bags with uh, Sean. You know, he's a New York guy. You know, so he and I work together in the wine industry. Oh no way! Yeah, I'm trying to get him on the show. Really? Yeah. It, had, did he say yes? Yeah, he said he oh, might. Okay. You know, he's he's not far from me. So I was gonna say I can put that together for. It. I text with Sean every single day. We've been Instagramming, and I'm like, I want you on the show. I love what you do. I should say Sean texts me every single day. <laughs> <laughs> I can't reply to all of them because he's obs- he's obsessive about surfing. So yeah. it's like every little he sends he me Instagram too. Oh yeah. He's he used like, to ride for uh, R- Rusty back really? in the day. Yeah. Damn. If you see old photos, he looks exactly like Pat O'Connell. Interesting. Regular foot, toehead blonde, Rusty R-Dot logo, same style, wow. everything. Yeah. Uh, at any rate, I'm saying this fully knowing Sean's listening. Right <laughs> now. Um, he sends me Instagram, like a, a Instagram story, right? Yeah. Which isn't even as primo as like a proper Instagram. It's yeah. a story, which means he's digging even deeper. Yeah. From a random Israeli surfer on a surf trip in Morocco or something like a right that they caught. And I and then I open that person's account and they have like 32 followers. And I, more often than not, my reply to Sean is, how do you find this yeah, stuff? Yeah. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. What do you do with your time? He is so on top of it. And He's I will say. very active on Insta. I will say a lot of my show content mm-hmm. comes from Sean. Interesting. I've almost like decided I don't have to scour the internet anymore because Sean will hit me up and then that'll be fodder for the show. That's awesome. Um, but so with advertisers, yeah. like the, you know, it's like, uh, firstly, it has to be something that applies to the listenership that they would want to use or yeah. that would like provide benefit for them. But then non-endemic or semi-non-endemic so as not to influence the content of the show but what i've realized is i want to direct money back into the surf industry yeah so what i think i'm going to start doing is affiliate programs which is what i did with sean and his board bag company which is like hey you don't have to pay me anything yeah donate a product to a listener we'll do a raffle we'll promote the raffle so you're getting all the same promotion as somebody who's paying for advertising yeah and all you got to do is give away products so it's not costing you anything listeners benefit because they're getting a free thing and i am just working as the intermediary so i think that's been the solution very noble you know that's very nice of you i mean well some people would would want to capitalize on it and want to utilize you know to to help fund some of the stuff that you do i mean this equipment's not cheap well you know? again the allegiance and the yeah. alliance is always to the listener yeah. you know and so like as long as they're getting value out of this and then i'm still making awesome. an income off of the non-endemic brand which yeah. by the way they're still supporting awesome. it seems to be a solution as of yeah. now anyways we'll see how it all develops but oh, i think it's it's a bold new world you That's know the thing. there's there's everything from patreon too where you can have your listeners you know help fund it you can go the matt warshaw route you know with with that as well so i think there's there's no one one way yeah. uh, to do it, and I yeah. think that's that's kind of exciting about this this kind of medium and this this podcasting trend that's happening. Well, that's what's exciting to me about it is building something from scratch, yeah, and like kind of inventing a wheel, so to speak, and only partially though. I mean, the wheel's kind of been built and developed outside of the surf world, like mm-hmm. in other podcasts. Yeah, obviously, people are making a living off podcasting outside of the surf yes, world. They are. So I'm following some of that um, model, but what I did love when I had the wine shop was growing the business. And I said, kind of reached full capacity at the two year mark. Mm -hmm. 
that was fun. The first two years of figuring it out and negotiating and moving the puzzle pieces yeah. was fun. Once the puzzle was built, ceased to be fun. And so I think with this podcast, that's what's been fun about it. You know, it's finding out mm-hmm. what do the listeners want? How do you craft the show for them? How do you make it profitable? All that stuff. So, so yeah, where do you see Surf Splendor going in the future? You know, where would you ideally, is this something you would like to make a living out of? Or, or is this something where it's just still you want to do for fun? I'd, I'd certainly like to make a living out of it and do it for fun. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I've been referring to it as a network and that I don't feel like I fully actualized that goal, but that yeah. goal is happening. Like I I mean I a number of show um styles have emerged over the course of 4 years yeah. that listeners kind of identify with or say that they like this. Mm-hmm. And so I've crafted shows for that and have already kind of started to delineate them onto their own feeds. Yeah. I have I think four new yeah. shows in production and development for 2018. Wow. And what I've essentially what I've realized is listeners want more content. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have the interest in providing that content. I have enough show ideas mm-hmm. that I think I could like satisfy a number of different shows. And Additionally, listeners are going to get exhausted of hearing my voice. Yeah. So my voice does not need to be on each of these shows. Yeah. And people that I've interviewed in the past, Dave Parmenter, yeah. some other people have said, hey, I would love to do a show. And I go, well, I have expertise on doing this and I have an audience and yeah. I have the, net, I have the uh, production capability. So what I am doing, those four shows that are under development, yeah. one of them I will be fully responsible for, but the other ones are other people are going to be responsible for. They're going to create nice. their own shows. I am going to operate as a producer on the show. Yeah. I'm going to distribute the show through the network and I'm going to place ads on the show. That's the other element of it, you know? So, so, so would Swell Season qualify maybe I, for your network maybe? We, we can talk about something it. That, uh, I mean, the reality is do you even need here, folks. Do you even need me? You know what I mean? Like if I can provide a benefit for you guys, then let's talk, but if I can't or if you can do it just as well on your own, then do it, yeah. you know? I mean, I th- I think the opportunity is ripe right now for something like that because I think there are a number of shows out there that are that have a loyal listening too, but if you could, if you can get all uh, a bunch of them together, you know, also under one umbrella, like you could become a force to be reckoned with in some ways. You know, it's like, you know, you got guys like Lipped and The Surf Simply and... You know, there's side stands and there's there's there and in the ones you're developing, you know, there there's stuff out there that people are doing consistent work. That's that's pretty decent. You know, if you wanted to, I'm sure you could collaborate with all of them and really create like almost like a media company out of it, uh, which would be really interesting. And then in terms of ad ad sales and whatnot, like you could really maximize that. Yeah. It's exciting. Yeah. And so that's, to answer your question, where I see it going, where I'm stepping out of the voice of the network role, and I'll be the voice of the main show, and I'll do the show Spit with Scott, Mm -hmm. and I'll do The Grit with Chaz. I'll continue doing those obligations, but there's going to be a lot of new shows that don't have my voice on it. They'll all represent the same, I think, audio aesthetic. That's awesome. Like if you're in the network, you kind of got to – 
be held to this standard, I think. Yeah. Uh, a standard that, by the way, I haven't always upheld myself. But again, with dollars coming in, we can actually get the right audio yeah. equipment, have a proper home studio. Mm. I've just kind of re-decorated um, the spare bedroom nice. with a, a desk. You know, like uh, actual simple fundamental things. crates on the ceiling. That's next. <laughs> you know, like simple, simple things that yeah. don't cost that much money, but this show has had zero revenue yeah. for a long time. So... Um, so all of that stuff will happen. And then kind of further to answer your question, I'll be very transparent about this. Yeah. I've only just followed the print media magazine model yeah. with the show development where it's like, what do print magazines have? They have a little bit of editorial. Mm-hmm. They do a little bit of board design discussion. Mm-hmm. They do a little bit of gossip column by telling yeah. you who switched which sponsors. They do a news section by telling you who, which, who won which contest. Yeah. That's what I'm doing. It's like I got the news show. I got the gossip show with Chaz. Well, it's, I've got it's the- like I would say it's like you and Scott are like entertainment tonight and and you and Chaz are like TMZ. Yeah. You know, it's like got that kind of vibe to it. And, and it's it's totally addictive, you know, Thanks. and like I definitely I listen to every episode. So I, I, I think I think there's so much more to explore, though. Uh, exactly if you let's say someone gave you fuck all money like a bunch of money and they're just like go nuts what how what type of program what would be like your dream program to produce if you had like money was no was no issue and you you could just sit and spend time on a show how would you what what would be the ideal show um i have a lot of different things that i facets of my personality that I want to explore. Yeah. So like I like just long form freestyling with Scott and Chaz. Yeah. And like Scott because he is very good at certain things. Yeah. And then Chaz because I like just talking crap and yeah. gossiping, you know? But to answer your question or kind of the heart of the question, the show that I'm most excited about developing this year, mm-hmm. this is prematurely talking yeah. about it, but there's no sense in not talking about it. You heard it here. Yeah. Got the scoop on swell season. <laughs> it's um, the working title is just people who surf. Oh, and it's, like the old surfer magazine uh, back end. Really? Remember surfer used to do that? People who Shoot. surf. Maybe that's where I got the title that from. Might be. You know, it Matt was, Warsha, not Matt Warsha, Um, It was, um, God damn, uh, Hawk, Steve Hawk, who came up with it, and they started highlighting regular, everyday surfers, um, and they would do a little profile on them, and then they did, like, a whole issue one, like, a couple years in a row, which was, like, people who surfed. I swear to God, I thought this was my idea. Go back to 1991. I have the magazines. You'll you'll see in the back, the back two pages would always be, like, different people, and I always, like, dreamed about being in that. I was like, one day, I'm going to be a people who surfed, and they did, like, a whole thing on Bill Finnegan in it. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. I, I, this was, I, it must have been what? buried you in the vestige. Oh, I will. No, yeah. trust me. I will. And but the it was great. It must have been buried in the vestiges of my brain. Yeah. Not only the concept, but the title being exactly the yeah. same is uh, for sure. That's great. That's where I got it from. Well, anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to burst Let's cut that bubble. part out of the show. Whoops. Um, it's, it's an audio documentary. So, like, yeah. it, it is very much mm-hmm. based on This American Life. Nice. It's just an audio documentary, day in the life. It's going to be... You have to do the This American Life inflection, so... Right. There like, you go. We have like a surfer. Glass. Yeah, totally. Dude, give me your best Ira Glass right now. <laughs> so... Guy walks into a bar with a surfboard. 
and <laughs> yeah, it's like that. <laughs> Today on This American Life, Today. we're going to talk about people who surf and what they surf on. Yes. Um, <laughs> I've seen Ira Glass speak live. Yeah. Like he's done speaking he's tours. Amazing. Such a weirdo, dude. Yeah. Like my favorite thing <laughs> is I get for well, like now working with Chaz, right, and posting yeah. stuff on Beach Grit and the Beach Grit comment section get ridiculed endlessly, you know, in the comment section. Yeah. And what I've realized is if you uh, you cannot adjust your voice inflections no. or whatever based on what the commenters say, because you look at Ira Glass, that guy is as weird as they come yeah. when it comes to like audio, just the way that his cadence of speech, Absolutely. the way he delivers sentences. Adam Carolla, yeah. the worst ever, <laughs> you know, like, but they just keep, Keep at it. Keep at it. It doesn't matter. P- annoyed people, people still listen. People yeah. get used to it. And exactly. if the content is good, yeah. you know, my my dream would be to do a show like Radiolab for surfing. I would love that. I That's, couldn't even, I don't even know how to attack it. I, I have, I know how to attack it. I just don't have the audio engineering know-how to do it. Um, I've, I actually was going to do like, that was my original intent before Ben invited me on to Swell Season. And I probably would never have done it, but was to do that. And like, I I wanted to do like one story, you know, one topic and devote the whole episode to it and interview different people about that topic and bring in the different stories about that. One episode dictated to the tackiness of wax. Yeah. 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 It could be that, or it could be like, who's better, Curran or Slater, more influential or... Stoke, what is Stoke? Interview a neuroscient, you know, right. a neuroscientist and what's happening chemically into your brain and then interview Matt Warshaw about the history of the yeah. word Stoke. Like I feel like there's so many directions you can go with this medium and it's pretty exciting. That's way better than people who surf by the way. Oh, I think your idea is better. Well, I think they're both good. They're both valid, equally valid and totally Who, who can execute quicker is the question. Oh, you can, man. I <laughs> dude I, I, my job has me all over the freaking perfect. It's all you, man. You, I'm one of those people who throw ideas out. I'm stoked that someone does it. I came up with an idea for flavored waffle cones and I called it Conosaur. I was going to do it and I made them and everything. And I was like, you know what? I don't want to start my own business. Fuck that. I just want to relax and have fun. I'm happy if someone else does it. Someone else did it. I'm like, Good for you. I always love when people come up with the name of the product yeah. before the product yeah. itself. Well, I made like, the product first. Well, that, that sounds it. like it could have been. It could You know been. what I mean? It's great. Where it's name. like, Connoisseur is a great name. What could we make with this name? Well, that's what we did with Unicorn Snot with my company. Yeah. Uh, for our listeners, you know, I'm so is Pitch Unicorn it. Pitch Unicorn it. Snot, glitter, glitter body and hair gel, glitter lip gloss, glitter sunscreen, lip glitter. And other stuff like that you can find on factory fctry.com um but they that's how they did they're like unicorn snot what is that and they work backwards mm-hmm. you know not some people work really well like that you yeah know, going backwards it's funny but that's exciting though. well so people who surf it's a day in the life yeah. audio documentary follow the person around capture all the kind of like man on the street type mm-hmm. audio we'll also sit down and do like full interviews yeah but the way the episode will run it the interview will just be like cut into the storyline interview the people around them i've already got the full list of people uh for season one that's the other thing with all these new episodes or new shows i should say yeah um i gotta run them just 
by the season. I think that's the only way you could. It's all, the only sustainable way to you do it. You burn out. You'll you be back at the wine, you know, yeah, doing the wine exactly. thing, you know, it'll be like that. I should have thought about that with Surf Splendor and with yeah. the other shows. It's like to do a year worth of shows and never get a break. Maybe at Christmas time yeah. you take 2 weeks off. It's too much. It's it's like we do, you know, weekly live show, yeah. you know, every Tuesday at 8 p.m. and it's like it's amazing. I'm lucky I have a co-host who can hold it down when I'm not there and I can hold it down when he's right. not, but it's still it's amazing like how much time it takes to do. For me, I love it because it's that one opportunity to talk about surf once a week, which I normally don't get to, you know? Well, that part of it's fine. Yeah. But any pre-production prep oh, that you have to do if you're interviewing yeah. somebody, you have obviously a bunch of notes. Yeah. And then any post-production editing you have to do. And then once you start, I've had to go through this new learning curve with, with advertising. Yeah. It's like, well, then you have to build the ad for it, but then you have to bill yeah. for the ad, and then you have to track who's like if oh, i have a co-host on a yeah. show where there's an ad he has to get paid so it's like which roles how much money goes to which it's like yeah all this accounting now which is hours and hours virtual assistants highly recommend them we use them they're amazing where do you find them on philippines Free, i have like freelancer.com i have an email i have like a web address i'll send you but you get them and they're in like the philippines and they work really affordably and they're amazing too okay all right. Sorry, listeners. No, little, no, no. Listeners want, want that info too, you know? <laughs> um, I want to hear the love story between you and Scott Bass. How, where? Torrid. Where, love affair. Yeah, I know. I'm going to get into that. But I want to know first, like, how did you guys meet? Was it love at first sight? Did you recognize, like, your powers combined? You could be a force? Or, or how did it come about? Because I know he'd been doing it since, what, 2000. One, six. two, six? I think it was 2006. Damn, I felt like it was longer. Maybe you're right. He was I've, doing stuff on Surfer like way back, I feel yeah. like. It might have been. I mean, he is the pod father. Yeah. Right? Oh, that's a great name. Yeah, thanks. The pod father. I, I didn't really make it up. I, I think I heard that somewhere. <laughs> um, so, but he is. like. Yeah. I. He, he definitely deserves that title. So, he had been doing it. Like you said, on I think Surfer might have been the first iteration yeah. of it. He was Surfer when they first got involved in digital. I mean, the mm. internet comes around, you yeah. know, and they decide to make that transition. They hired him on. I think it was digital editor at Surfer, mm -hmm. and he decided let's do a radio show. Yeah, Sam George was a co-host. <laughs> um, God, that would have been hard. And they had they had uh, you know a list pro surfers on the show and stuff like that and it was really good because Surfer invested in the yeah. audio equipment and they just published it on their website. Yeah. At some point he didn't he stopped working for Surfer. I have no idea why. And he they did not continue doing a radio show, but yeah. he did. Yeah. And I think it was available on AM mm -hmm. in San Diego, and then it was available on FM at a certain point. And then he started actually publishing it yeah. via podcast at a certain mm -hmm. point. So it went through these four different iterations and all the while kind of transitioned co-hosts as yeah. well. So a number of different co-hosts. And I had always kind of tracked it, but because it had leapfrogged, it was hard yeah. to even as a fan to really keep track of it. So then I um, started, make, started doing my podcast mm -hmm. in 2013. And when I was trying to listen to his, I could see the limitations of it. Yeah. Intermittent publishing, spotty audio quality. So I hit him up and I was like, hey, I'm doing these long form interviews and I want to do 
a news show, like a bi, maybe bi-monthly, once a month, I don't know what, news show with a co-host, yeah. and that's what you're doing. And I know he ha- he didn't have a co-host. His co-host previously was Jeff Baldwin, Jeff Baldwin yeah. and Baldy left. Yeah. And so Scott was like doing a solo show. And it that's wasn't, awful. it just wasn't working, you know? Yeah. So I was like, hey, I want to do a co-hosted show. Let's get together. We will simultaneously record. We'll simulcast it. You yeah. put it on your feed. I'll put it on my feed. And if we work out, then we'll we'll figure it out how to like merge whatever. Yeah. And, um, and that was the genesis of it. I feel like it was episode five or six for me. Mm-hmm. So it was early days. Yeah. And... Um, we hit the ground running, I think. You know, it's like we just we got along well, we like one another, and we have similar sensibility or, or similar sensibility, but certainly a different Yeah. You and I have you and I have a uh, as we discussed, a similar influence yeah. growing up in our formative years. Yeah. Scott and I have very different formative about, influences. Seventies, yeah, eighties, you know. Totally. And honestly, even though I'm in Orange County and he's in San Diego, yeah. San Diego's its own world yeah. in surfing, you yes. know. And, um, and so we were able to, we're, we're successful as co-hosts, right? But we had a debacle on air a year ago and that was a factor of we're successful as co-hosts, but we have very different working styles. Mm. And so I'm, I've explained to you just on this show, kind of what my long-term goals are with running the business and all of the positions that mm-hmm. need to be or um i don't know foundations that need to be built to get to where i want to go and um i've never fully explained that to scott yeah. and i think as it was happening scott kind of felt like maybe i was stepping on his shoulders mm-hmm. to move ahead and at the same time i always felt like hey dude you see this is where we're going you need to do some heavy lifting and help me get to this help us get to this yeah. place and we just never communicated that's the other weird thing is as good as we are as co-hosts we we're so bad at communicating with one another. It's funny, like Ben and I, my co-host, we're I think pretty bad at communicating too. Like, yeah, you know, we we hardly talk during the week leading up to shows. Just text messages and sharing a Google Doc of questions and stuff like that. And it's not like because we don't want to. It's just life. Yeah. Gets so busy with everything else and demands everywhere else. It's just hard to have that. Um, it's funny, like I find that with a lot of uh, different people who work together, especially in like this kind of world that I've talked to, they're like, yeah, you know what? I hardly actually talk to them outside of it, you know? Part of it's intentional yeah. because it's like we want every conversation to be on air. Totally. So even when I'm setting up mics for 10 minutes mm-hmm. when we are in the room together, quiet, dead silence, which is actually Steve. very awkward. Yeah. But I feel like it adds a certain tension on air that is better. It's oh, man. palpable. I got an idea for a show now, like a mockumentary kind of podcast where it's like kind of uh, the office style <laughs> that you could do where it's just ad-libbed humor almost. That could be really funny <laughs> if, if properly executed. Yeah, obviously. Obviously. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny. Like you and Scott, there's like a certain almost Laurel and Hardy element to it. Um, you know, and, it, and honestly, at first, like I thought Scott was kind of a meathead, you know, when I first listened and... Yeah, guy, and he's very broy, and it's very dude esque, and you know, coming from New York too, you know, you look at sometimes you have animosity and jealousy to you guys on the West Coast because you're like, fuckers got waves and right. all the time, and uh, you know, and you feel so, so you try to pinpoint the things that are wrong or whatever. But I've grown to love him, 
I think Scott's amazing. He's so wonderful in, in that he's, he's thoughtful. I love when he re reads what he wrote and he really puts a lot of effort into it. And I, I think it's great. I've become such a huge Scott Bass fan, actually. Like I really, I love being surprised by my first impressions and, and then like being changed. And I think he's totally changed my mind and I think he's just awesome. And you guys have such a wonderful chemistry in that way. Thanks. It was it was funny, like I almost thought when you guys had the falling out, like I almost thought like, oh, is this almost intentional to, to just create a rabble rouse? And it was, were, was it like really tense, would you say? Or yeah. Really? Yeah, I felt tremendous animosity towards Scott. Wow. I never felt like it would never get physically violent or anything like that. And I knew we would we would sort it out in the end. Yeah. But in the midst of it, I was very okay being mad at him. I was yeah. just like, dude, you have completely misinterpreted my intentions. Yeah. I have only ever elevated what you do. Yeah. And I only ever elevate the boardroom show, which is his business. Yeah. And tried yeah. to provide consistency for your listenership and better audio quality, all this sort of stuff. And you only view me as uh, undermining and mm. trying to steal your legacy, yeah. which I've never, ever done. And maybe and maybe I'm speaking out of turn. Maybe he didn't feel that way at all, but that's yeah. the way I interpreted it at that time. I, With you saying, like, you've come to love Scott, I see all of Scott's potential, okay? Like, yeah. I wouldn't have worked with Scott for four years yeah. if I hadn't. What bummed me out about Scott was... He'd show up for shows with zero notes, mm. no preparedness, no computer, no nothing. Yeah. And I even Instagrammed, you could go back and look at it. It's like he showed up one time, his handwritten notes were Nat Young. That was all that he had <laughs> on the notes. And I'm like, again, my allegiance yeah. is always to the listener. And yeah. I'm just looking at him going, well, dude, this show's going to suck. If you did not prepare for this yeah. show, I don't mind doing the heavy lifting, to be honest. Like yeah. I came prepared so we can just role mm -hmm. but the listenership is not going to get what they're expecting out of it because mm -hmm. i was a listener of your show yeah. and there were times where i was disappointed so my um you're talking about you loving scott now i feel like one thing that i've learned from working with a number of people over the years is kind of finding what their strengths are and trying to build into yes. those strengths yes and even i feel the exact same way with chaz Chaz isn't a professional broadcaster, yeah. but he's a critical thinker. Yeah. And left to his own devices, he will just be a mud-slinging asshole. <laughs> and it's like, well, Chaz, that's funny sometimes. Yeah. But then if I present an alternative viewpoint and you don't engage in that and you decide just to continue being an asshole, that's not the best of you. No. And it's also not giving the listener the best. So I've tried to coax... The best out of him as well you know yeah. and like design um i don't know segments of the show and topics that i think he will have a secondary opinion on yeah. that we can kind of get really into the nitty-gritty on but all of that stuff i mean it's all i'm saying this as if like i am a, a puppeteer but like they're probably doing the same thing with me as yeah. well you know what i mean yeah. like Chaz and scott both are learning how to help me be the a good co-host as well. So well, I, it just takes time to work it, through the dynamics. It takes time and also it, it takes effort. Like I find when I'm prepared for a show, when I have my notes, I have my questions, um, my I can hear the difference to when I'm not prepared. Of course. I can totally hear yeah. it. 
I stutter when I don't, and I do lots of stalls and everything like that. So it, it's really important to, to prepare, for one. And I think I feel like in the last year, since you guys had the falling out and then reconciling, Scott has come with his A-game totally. and writing out all these beautiful notes and reading it. And, and I just feel like you, you have definitely helped him with that. You know, Chaz, on the other hand, you know, He's a work in progress. Yeah, <laughs> and, but he and that's he's the getting thing. better. There's nobody comes into broadcasting yeah. a professional. No, like no. you, it takes reps. Yeah. you know, and he's 15 episodes in, maybe at the most. Yeah, and it's like he's getting better too. And and so part of that is my responsibility. Um, is the prep different for the grit as yeah. it is for for you know spit? Completely. Yeah, I view Scott as very much an equal, like yeah. in terms of a co-host. And I expect him to bring 50% of the topics and I'll bring 50% and we'll both riff off each other's topics. Do you guys share like Google Docs? Really? So you guys come in blind with who's bringing what? Yep. Interesting. Completely. That's cool. That's exciting. And then with Chaz, Chaz is the villain, like in surfing. (laughs) And um, I'm fully okay branding him that way. And I'm going to tee up topics to let him be the villain on. Yeah. So I'm very much prepping that show, and then he's just freestyling it. Yeah. Um, Do you think he would benefit from prepping more? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Does he have time to prep more? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Does he have the interest? <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah. But I think, so that's the other thing is, Scott was a big fan of the platform and the medium of yeah. podcasting and radio when he and I connected. Yeah. Chaz wasn't. No. Like Chaz has only started listening to podcasts since he and I have been creating a podcast. Yeah. So I think that as he develops a passion and appreciation for the platform, yeah. he will then realize the important and the importance of preparedness. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny like with it's so funny like I love both shows. Um you know, like I said before like it's it's entertainment tonight with Spit and the grit is TMZ. You know, and growing up, like feeling like an outsider like you, you know, never got these juicy details. And Chaz is great for that. He's great for the gossip. You know, it's it's so nice as an outsider to get some of these underlying stories and things that you don't read anywhere. Well, I agree. That's exactly the way that I feel about it. Yeah. And Ashton touched a real, Ashton Goggins from Stab touched a real nerve with... um, Beat me to my question. Okay, sorry. But with with Chaz, he was like, he was like, look, your your wife pays your bills. You know, that's why you can write whatever you want to write and not worry about sponsors. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that. That's a super interesting uh, hypothetical game to play. If you didn't have to pay your own bills, mm-hmm. or, if, or and I don't know that that's true for yeah. Chaz, by the way, but as a hypothetical, if you were not responsible for providing income for your household, what would you do? What would you write? And if you're a writer, what would you write? If you yeah. had a website, what would you talk about? Yeah. And if you're in surfing, which stories would you tell? Yeah. And so Chaz has that freedom, apparently. Yeah. I, I'm uh, allegedly, let's yeah. say. And if he does. That has real value for viewers and for fans of surfing and for listeners of a podcast. So I'm looking at that from my position going, I've got people like Ashton specifically going, hey, dude, I would love to promote your show on Stab, but I can't because of your affiliation with Chaz. 
And I'm like, well. That's silly, though. Well, that's on yeah. you, Ashton. Yeah. That's on you. He he literally was like, in a not on in a off air conversation. He's like, you know, I'd like to do a full kind of write up about like your show and my favorite Ooh. episodes of your show. But if you continue associating with Chaz, you're going to limit who is willing to work with you. And I turned to him, and he's like, "Would you like me to do something like that for you?" And I was like, "You're asking the wrong question." Yeah. What you need to ask yourself is, what does your readership want? Yeah. And if you feel like you're listening to a podcast of value that your readership would like to know about, mm-hmm. then you need to provide that for them. Forget about who I'm affiliated with. Yeah. That has nothing to do with anything. And by the way, I'm not in bed with Chaz. No. Like, I'll call Chaz out on his bullshit, too. Like, You've but, gotten so much better at it. Yeah. You know, at first, there, there was a bit of a deferment. I treated him, him like ways. a guest at first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but now... You can hear in the later episodes, you're you're much more like, no, I disagree yeah, almost, and exactly. I think that's really healthy. And he needs he needs more of that, I think. Well, and then he's a better co-host because of it. Yeah, because now he has to come up with a retort. Yeah, exactly. So my whole point of all of this is that I see the value in Chaz's not having to bow to endemic dollars and be able to talk about whatever he wants to talk about and my listener wants to hear that as well so i really want to provide a platform for Chaz to be able to do that and again be able and i want to really give make him the best version of himself too by i want the critical thinking stories from him not just the mudslinging stories from him you know i you know touching on the Chaz ashton debate yeah you know that was one. I gotta ask, like, how good were the view, the the hits on it? Like, in terms of publicity, like, you must have had so many people listen to it. Which you'd be you'd be surprised. It's more than average, yeah, but it's not nearly the most popular episode. Mm. Yeah, it's not even the most popular episode I've done with Chaz. Yeah, it's half of the most popular episode I've done with Chaz, and I don't know why. Yeah. I don't know why that other one has doubled the amount of listen. It's like that one wasn't special. It could be timing too. It's weird. It's yeah. timing and just people shared it for some reason. I don't know. It, it was very disappointing. I mean, it really was a debate uh, between them. I both, in some ways, kind of fell from grace in my eyes. In some ways, from that, both Ashton and Chaz yeah. fell from grace. Yeah, really. You know, Chaz. I don't. I can't look at his writing anymore. Really? I, I really... Interesting. I've lost any sort of... Uh, he's lost credibility in my eyes because he he flipped out so easily. You know, it wasn't... Look, like, I get it. If someone attacks you and your wife or, or says something nasty about them, yeah, you, you want to get angry. And, and Ashton was, was not, not... I don't think he was, he was going about it the right way. I think he totally made himself look smarmy and not totally... Uh, I think he could have held himself to a higher standard and he didn't. He lowered himself. Um, obviously, I have a relationship with Ashton, so I know him. And, you yeah, know, yeah. Uh, he's, you know, everyone fucks up. Everyone makes mistakes. I didn't think he, he came out good at all on that show. I think it was really, um, yeah, he looked bad. But Chaz, to me, because he lobbed so many grenades at Stab and Ashton, and I was like, oh, you can dish it out, but you can't take it. And that really ruined all now his criticism to me. 
And it's made me also revisit his writing and look at it and be like, dude, like, your writing is, everything is so arm's length. You don't, you don't show any of your real emotions in who you are. You know, I have no sense of who you are except for someone who sits up on a podium and judges and points out criticisms but never brings out a solution mm. uh, to me. And, and that's really frustrating because I think Chaz is a very gifted writer. I think he has incredible skills and he's smart and, and very intelligent. And the thing is, like, I just read a really interesting Instagram post from his wife. And she talks about how lovely he is and how he brought the romance to her. And he's promised all these things and what a great stepdad he is. I want to hear more about that almost. Right. I want to connect to Chaz. And now it's like, ah, oh, you're just throwing stuff out there for attention as opposed to really putting anything of, of value out. And I wish, I wish he would. I really wish he would. You're like, you, it's so easy to poke holes at other people. But, like, dude, why don't you come up with a solution? Come up with something then. Right. You know, I want to see him. I want to see Beach Grit succeed. I want to see him and Derek do well. I love what they do sometimes. But it just got too much. And especially after the debate, it was like, dude, <laughs> let yeah. it go. Yeah. Let it go. Like, it's not even worth your time, like focus on other things that are more interesting. It was not interesting to me to, to see Stab being constantly yeah. harassed. I'm like, who cares? It's surfing. <laughs> I'm surprised anybody cares. Like, yeah. or yeah. gets their feelings hurt anyway. Yeah. I, I uh, love hearing that feedback. I'm yeah. glad to hear that. I agree with you yeah. that both of them Came into it kind of wrong, yeah. and then also came certainly came out of it looking dirty. Totally, I think uh, I agree with everything that you said about Chaz, and that's why my stance with Chaz yeah. is like, "Hey, you are a critical thinker. Let's focus on that. Yeah. Let's try to build into that, and totally. keep writing long form pieces, and yeah. keep doing these things." And I think leading up to the debate was actually the worst of Beach Grit, where it was like. Day five of Stab not talking about the Quickabong merger. So and it's like, silly. dude. And then Ashton comes on the debate and says, we're generating original content. You guys are only poking fun at other people. I fully agree with Ch yeah. with Ashton. It's yeah. like, yes, Ashton, you guys are killing it. Stab is amazing. The Stab stuff. in the Dark stuff's great. The doc Unreal. was unbelievable. Keep doing that. And Chaz, you guys are dropping the ball. Like, you have no defense in that argument. Yeah. But yeah. you guys are great writers and critical thinkers and have access. Yeah. So continue this other type of thing that you're doing. Um, I think Ashton Ashton's misstep in this was coming into it speaking as a voice of stab. Yeah. And I even asked him at the beginning, I go, does Sam know that you're here oh, representing man. Ashton or representing stab? Yeah. I said it on the episode and he goes, yes, <sighs> Sam does. And I think Ashton would have better, been better off just going, no, I'm fine. not here representing Stab. Yeah. I'm here as Ashton because Chaz and I have a past relationship together. Yeah. I'm a writer. Chaz is a writer. And I want to have a discussion about how we can both better our craft and how Chaz can do a better job doing his thing. That's not what Ashton did. He was like, I'm here as a representative of Stab and yeah. I'm here to like elevate surf content as a whole. But then 20 minutes later, he's poking the finger going, yeah. hey, your wife pays your bills. Well, yeah. that's disingenuous. Exactly. So I agree with Ashton, by the way, about 
<laughs> all those things. Yeah. And I actually do think that he had every right to even say, hey, doesn't your wife pay your bills? Because at Chaz, even though he didn't admit it, does talk about that. And he yeah. has in the past. They didn't. I remember him doing he's, a Beach Grit story he's, about the Porsche Panamera he, that I, they're driving. Or that they were in yeah. an advertisement for. You know what I mean? So, like, Ashton had every right to say that. and But Chaz had every right to be like, hey, buddy, this is 2018, you sexist yeah, freak. Totally. Who cares if my wife makes more money than me? Like, I don't give a shit. Yeah. Like, and I can write about whatever I want because of it. He would have had the higher ground then. Yeah. He would have been totally yeah, yeah, yeah. like, you know what? I, I don't care. You know, she supports me while I'm trying to get this off the ground. Many people do that, and there's nothing wrong with and that. And I've written two books. Yeah. What have you written? Exactly. You, you website writer. You know yeah. what I mean? Like he could have. And I'm making. I've made Job. You ever heard of yeah. that? Or and, who is Job? Look at Matt Warshaw. He owns up to. He to yeah. openly is like, my wife supports me. You know, and and a whole bunch of writers. So I do think that. that should have been the card Chaz yeah. played. He it never needed to get violent. So then I had to. I actually had to ask myself this, and I don't know the answer for the record. Which is how much of Chaz's quote unquote altercation was sincere? Like, was so, he playing yeah. it up? Yeah. Because I don't know the answer. And he even says earlier in the episode, how awesome is it when Norman Mailer punches Gore Vidal yeah, in the green room at the Dick Cavett show? And then 20 minutes later, he's doing the exact same thing. So it could all just be calculated. Promote, yeah. And it, it is, I mean, Tom Likas. Which, by the way, I didn't mention this. I used to do radio with Tom Likas. He had a wine show. Oh, here we go. Oh, so, this is not some out of the thin so, air kind of radio host. Well, no, I was a guest <laughs> a couple of times. But my point is, Tom Likas, the vast majority of his audience yeah. hated him. Yeah. They hate listened to the show. Oh, Rush Limbaugh is the same way. Exactly. You know? And, and so it's kind of like I wonder if Chaz. He knows he's a villain. He's, he knows he's a villain, and it's like, I'm going to play the villain role because every industry, every everything needs a villain, yeah. and nobody wants to play the villain. Yeah. And um, and I'm okay with that yeah. if that's the case. But be a good, like, be a really good villain then, too, I feel like. For sure. Yeah. But, but in relation to Cersei's Instagram post yeah. that you read, I know Chaz personally. Yeah. He is what she spoke about on Instagram. Yeah. He is not the villain. And he's, his and my relationship, he's super cool, super yeah. reliable, always shows up early, never, ever tries to like th- do anything underhanded. If, if you were to listen to your first interview with him and listen to it in succession, you see this evolution and he starts to take on his writing persona yeah. um, in the show. Uh, when you first interview him, he was super likable and nice and polite. Because he was promoting a book. Yeah, but also he was on my friend uh, Joe's uh, show. Um, who was uh, it? Um, oh, he's going to kill me right Hook now. up Joe, dude. What are you doing? Joe Prano, comedian. Him and his boy Lockjaw. Cooks oh, um, um, of Comedy. Cooks of Comedy. He was so polite and sweet and not his writing personality. And not his writing voice. Was and he promoting the book on that show? No, no. He was just came on like to hang out and drink beer. And it was... You've seen this whole progression, I think, where he... I feel like he's taken on the persona. Kind of like Andy Kaufman or something right. almost. You know? It's it's a personality. I do it within sales. When I'm selling a product, like I'm, in a, I'm an accentuated version of myself. I'm not my normal self, you know? So I think... 
maybe maybe it is maybe yeah. that is the case maybe he's trying to create his writer's voice uh you know for radio that that's very possible yeah what i i'm going to push back on you is what i i love the concept of the debate what i would have loved to have seen was more formatting and yeah. more clear cut uh topics you know it felt like you just were like here's a piece of meat go nuts boys you know and yeah. And I really think like it would have benefited had there been structure like a proper debate, like an actual like debate format that you would see. And like, this is the topic. How, why do you think about this? Why is Stab not as original as Beach Grid or something? I don't know. I think there's something there. And I, knowing you, I know you, you're really good at improving things. I would love to see that. And I think a debate is great. I would love to see like, Schroff and uh, Richard Price, you know, debate, but Mark, Mark, yeah, Mark Price, you know, and, and, and Peter Schroff, I would love to see that, but I would love to see it where it's organized so it doesn't devolve into a shit show. I agree. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I could have done a better job. I feel like with the various podcasts that I've been doing, yeah. there's a number of different hats that I'm wearing Yeah, where it's like interviewing is one um, skill set. Yeah co-hosting is a different skill set yeah that was my first stab at moderating yeah and it's a it's a skill set you know it's like well okay i learned and this medium or this style platform has potential yeah because there are a bunch of different things that we could discuss hand shaping versus machine shaping china versus america or overseas versus american made yeah um you know uh uh, big corporation versus small surf brands, you know, uh, online versus, you know, brick and mortar. There's totally. so much there uh, to explore, which I think I would love to see in a format. Right. Um, you know, it's it's definitely viable, but I think it just needs structure. Yeah. I think structure I would help. And, and like, you can have judges. You can have people actually vote who won, which would be really engaging for everyone, totally. I think. So I, I definitely... Kudos for you for trying it, um, but you had a very difficult situation. I there. picked the toughest one to do yeah. from the get go. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll get on it. I'll start uh, start working out now. Um, not too much more because I know you guys have places to go and people to see. You know, how do you feel about the proliferation of podcasting and surfing now? Like you saw Stab do it with Noodles and uh, Shane Dorian. Aki has his podcast, which is so painful to listen to <laughs> you know did you w- listen to the current one? Oh my god i loved it because current carried it did you listen or watch i watched yeah uh you know i mean current it was so much fun and the editing is really nice but if if it were anyone other than aki that person would be ripped to shreds if we gave an interview like that like and we're nobodies people would be like fuck you yeah. you know and i think in some ways, it's I find it's almost insulting in some ways that Billabong and Aki has this whole show and Aki really needs to work on his interview. And it just feels like he a lot of times doesn't want to be there. He It feels like it's not a lot of prep. He doesn't seem even engaged while he's there. And it's really disappointing. Well, even when he and Curran are skating away at the end of the yeah. episode, he goes, this one's going to get the most hits ever. Yeah. Well, it's not even called a hit. 
Yeah. It's called a view, view. or a download yeah. or a listen. Yeah. You know, like he doesn't, he has no clue yeah. what he's doing. I don't know if he even listens to podcasts, you know? No, no. Well, he clearly doesn't. Yeah. So it's, you know, so what are your thoughts on the proliferation of lots of people taking a stab at it now and trying their luck at it? I mean, obviously there's going to be some good stuff, but I feel weird when the pros and the industry people are getting involved on it. I, I'm all for it. Yeah. I mean, like the, uh, you know, rising tide raises all ships. So Aki doing it and doing it poorly at least gets people introduced to the platform who will then seek quality content Mm. and they'll find that and hopefully they view mine as quality content um that's a great perspective by the way i i I mean i i I feel that way 100 percent. every time i see it every time i see a new one i'm like sweet bring it on like because the medium is so underdeveloped yeah like if we're talking about if if our greatest goal is tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of views mm-hmm. or listens or downloads, yeah. I think that's underestimating the goal. I yeah. think there I think that there's the Jamie Brissick episode, let's yeah. say specifically, I think there are millions of people who would like to listen to that. Absolutely. They don't know it exists. Yeah. So however we can get those people aware, mm-hmm. I'm for. And uh, and so I think the more people in the market now mm-hmm. is better. What those new people need, new podcast producers yeah. need to realize is there's a huge advantage to being first to market yeah. in any business. And I wasn't first, but I was certainly I had a, I had a lot of runway. Yeah. And the runway hasn't even hasn't only given me given me listenership. It's given me reps under my belt, yeah. and that is something that you cannot. Yeah. Just like I said earlier, nobody comes into it a professional. It's a unique thing that you just need reps under your belt to yeah. learn how to do. And so um, by all means, dive in and get the reps and like do something great. Yeah. And I'm not I'm not executing all of my goals. Like there's, as you said, there's a lot of different styles of shows that listeners want. Yeah. And I don't think even if I had all the funding that you gave me the hypothetical with, I probably... I just don't have enough time to execute all of the different styles of shows. So I'd be thrilled if there was a competing quote unquote network who was doing 10 of their own shows that were different styles of shows Mm -hmm. that I enjoyed listening to. It doesn't, it doesn't um, challenge or jeopardize me, my audience, my potential advertisers Mm -hmm. or anything like that. I think the more the merrier right now, a word about Aki. Um, He's coming on your show, isn't he? No, 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 no. I haven't even attempted. I, I, I don't even care. Hey, how you doing, there, Dave? <laughs> Are you doing all right? Is that um, is that a mic that you have there? That is an Aki question. Your jawline was not nearly defined enough. Well, it's yeah. really tough to do yeah, it, Dave. Um, so he's not a podcast anymore. Yeah. You know he's what I mean? He's a video. He's a vlog. Or he's whatever. a video. Yeah, and that even that is that even a thing? You know, like is a vlog still a thing? But he's he's a YouTube series at this yeah. point, which I'm thrilled with. Yeah. Not because he's out so of the podcast game, but it's better. It's totally. Like better. I, it's watchable. Dude, the current thing. Listen to the first two minutes of the current episode. Yeah. It's unbearable. <laughs> if you're if you're strictly <laughs> listening, current takes a little bit to. Current to is up. the worst. We're all huge current fans yeah. right like i mean the guy is the god of surfing yeah. 
I could not listen to two minutes of it. He he says, um, there's no way to even edit it yeah. to sound interesting. He's not interesting to hear speak. Although, if you listen to my interview with him and Sonny Miller, I got him to really open Did up. Did you really? Oh, yeah. Like, Sonny Did, Miller played with him. It was so perfect. I feel like when you advertised that, Sonny yeah. Miller was the marquee name that you put. Did you write Tom Curran and Sonny Miller? Yeah. Really? I put Kerfuffle. And, and it was on oh. the, the image. Yeah. You put Kerfuffle in Sonny Miller? At, yeah. You might have misbranded that. If it Maybe. said Tom Curran... It was, could have doubled your listenership, maybe. dude. It's, it's, it, right, the audio right. is not as great, though. I have I'll to say, because it was a live audience. But I got some good story. Like, I got him talking about how he beat Matt Hoy properly. and On I, a twin on, fin. Yeah, on the twin fin. And then also I got him talking about this altercation he had with Gary Elkerton. And it was so rad. And Physical? No, nah, it was a paddle battle at the Bundaberg Surf Masters in 1990. And I brought it up. And, and he's like, well... Gary knew I was coming for him, and I was like, oh, Curran, you're so dry-witted. It's great. <laughs> Elko would have kicked his ass if it was physical. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, but, yeah, it, it was tough. It, well, yeah. good. So maybe that is a, a credit to you then because oh, Aki. Sonny Miller. I oh, okay. Sonny and Curran played off each other and made Curran comfortable, I Got think. It. That helped. Curran alone is probably really difficult. Everybody I've ever talked to said he is. Yeah. So, yeah. Except you. Yeah. Um, so that's the thing. So Aki, great move by Billabong yeah. to transition it into a vis- visual medium. Yeah. But still, I feel like just calling it the Aukcast alone rises the tide a little bit totally. for you and I. Yeah. And then him stepping out of the podcast world and into the video or mm-hmm. visual world kind of like removes him. If there was any competition, no. which I don't think there is. No. It's more than enough room for it there's yeah it's so early days that there's no competition yeah i would i would like to see more diversity in in the formats i agree you know right now it's you know i'm guilty uh you know doing an q a you know we you know it's for us like time is limited but stab could do something really cool surfer could do something really cool well so that's another thought is everybody gasses out yeah like people yeah. get into the get into podcasting you said there's this prolifer- proliferation of podcasting well yeah but there's no money it, it yeah. involved in it yeah. and so i talked to ashton about their show the drop yeah and i was like look he was like well um i i forget how the conversation started but i said look this shouldn't be funded by stab magazines mm. other advertising revenues this should exist this should be profitable. This should yeah. be a profitable endeavor. Totally. Stab should not be funding it. This should be a profitable endeavor. Here's Absolutely. how you do it. Here's the model. Yeah. Here's the model I'm building, and I'll show you the way to do yeah. it. And then you don't have to worry about convincing Sam to do it. Exactly. You know what I mean? And it can be sustainable, and you can do it every it's, week. It's amazing. It ha- like look at look at the Axe Files. You know, it started as a, a podcast, got picked up by CNN now has a live Saturday show, you know, yeah. and it's like they made money out of it. They yeah. made it into a money-making thing and blew it into a whole bunch of other stuff. You know, it's... There's a show, I can't... The name is a one-word title. I want to say Strange or Creep mm-hmm. or Scary or something like that. It's like a scary storytelling Ooh. podcast. He's only been around for two years. Yeah. He now has a show on Amazon yeah. Prime. 
like a visual, a 30-minute television show transitioned from a podcast where he found real stories that were like, 1982, this woman killed her kids. I heard about this. They they did one uh, about a ghost, and they photoed the ghost with like a Polaroid. It was fucking so spooky and really good. And he just did a great job. And he's a one-man show, but he does a great job from a production standpoint. Mm -hmm. And it took off. And like within four months, he quit his day job. Yeah. And within two years, Amazon Prime fully produced Hollywood show. Netflix, Amazon, Dave and I are for hire here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Parmenter, how scary scared were you going into interviewing him? I don't think I was scared. I would be. I'd be intimidated. Really? I love that you asked him that question I sent to you about Lisa Anderson, by the way. He really did not answer that. That was so uncomfortable to listen to. Was but it? But I loved it. I loved it. I um, I almost edited edited that out. I'm glad you didn't. Yeah. I because, thought it was great. Because it clearly made him uncomfortable. Yeah. And then I felt kind of an obligation to him where it was like, uh, well, if he didn't want to answer it, maybe I just shouldn't publicize yeah. it. And then I thought part of our interaction has become comedic. Yeah. Where he doesn't quite get the joke some of yeah. the times. Yeah. And and uh, like when you said some people think you are a curmudgeon. <laughs> and, like and he had zero awareness that that's even a thing. And I'm like no, like 98% of the public <laughs> thinks um so I've realized the comedy there's there's a very dry yeah. comedy that's taking place with the listener. It's not He's not laughing. I'm not laughing, but it's taking place. And so with that, that's why I left it in. I was like, I you know it. what? It people, good. people would do. I was laughing okay, my good. ass off. I thought it was great. Yeah. You know, um, funny story. Sidebar. Yeah. You know, you ever hear of the faces of death story? You, I think, mentioned this yeah. to me in DM. But yeah. No, I have not heard. So, there. Back in like the late '80s, Brissick told me this story. And basically, you know, a bunch of the 80s guys, pros, used to like, drive around France in those, like, Citroens. And what they would do is, like, kind of roll up to people real quietly, like, and they could just handbrake it really hard right behind people. And they would look, and it would be like, and they would honk the horn, and person would see it and be the face of death, because it looks like you're going to get hit by a car. Except for Parmenter. They go roll up onto Parmenter. And they do it, and he just stares him down. Doesn't even <laughs> flinch. <laughs> That's so great. That's funny. He's always got his game face. Seriously, on. that nothing phases that guy. I think. So you know what's funny talking about Chaz's yeah. writer persona versus the, actual yeah. self. Parmenter, yeah, is the sweetest, That's nicest. Right. He he sent templates to my friend Joe. You know, after Hurricane Sandy, lost all the templates, sent new board templates. Really? Yeah. Like, so, so genuinely nice. And, and and I'm talking about when I, sweet and nice, not on microphone, like not while we're recording. When we're, when we're recording, yeah. I think he shifts back into the persona a yeah. little bit. Once the mics go off, mm-hmm. it's nothing but kindness. Yeah. Um. So it's real interesting. I don't know why. I mean, certainly... Cameras and microphones, I think, make people put on a different... Totally. Yeah. All right. I think I know the answer to this question, but your best podcast interview. I'm almost done. I promise. Um, 
my what I think my yeah. best interview is yeah. that I've ever done. Yeah. Shoot, dude. I know which one it is. What do you think? Two weeks ago. Who was two weeks ago? Jamie. That Br- was Brissick. You think it was Brissick? I I think like. Yes. Okay. I agree. Brissick. Yes. That was totally like. Thanks. It was just. It was just beautifully done. Like the, the thanks. The, everything you added into it, the editing, the sensibility. It was really nice. I'll give you a little backstory. Um, I edited the program. I'd say a month after I recorded it. Yeah. Maybe more. And the week that I was editing it, I was sick. Mm-hmm. Like I was actually like under the weather. <laughs> And uh, it was, I think it was just before Christmas, or I think it was Christmas and New Year. Yeah. And I was like stressed because of Christmas. Yeah. And I wasn't in my right mind. Mm. And so I had the idea of like, oh, I'm going to read one of his articles and intercut it yeah. with like some audio bed and like I make it that. real sentimental. And I appreciate that the feedback's been so positive because as I was in it, I was like in it, you know, yeah. and I'm like feeling the emotions. You were. And I was like very sincere. And then I got like 80% through and I realized, I was like, oh my God, this could be the biggest failure of all time. Like I'm feeling it, but is it, I'm in this sick, you know, yeah. when you're sick, sometimes you're in yeah. like a weird headspace. Totally. Especially you're if you're up on and whatever. Yeah. And you're taking meds. Yeah. And I was like in between the holidays and I was like, this, what I thought was the, a genius idea. Yeah. And like, I'm starting out the raw materials. Great. So yeah. the raw material of Jamie talking and the raw material of his writing is great and i'm cobbling it together into a shit show (laughs) like i'm gonna make it horrible jamie's gonna be pissed listeners are gonna send me the worst emails i've ever gotten and um and i felt that way from 80 percent of editing to like the 100 percent. i was like this could be the death nail like and then i published it and of course, I got the f- feedback that you're giving me. Everybody loved it. I didn't get one negative feedback about that. So it was kind of a good lesson for me of like, dude, go with the gut yeah. and like that intimacy that you kind of feel with the mm-hmm. with the um, interview subject yeah. is what you should always tr- try to translate to the end user. Mm-hmm. Even though you're going from like the most intimate thing to now the most public, yeah. visible thing. That's what translates. And so you need to keep that through line or that kind of uh, synapse connection Mm -hmm. and share it with a broad market. And I find myself um, hedging sometimes and wanting to placate to the broad market. And that's usually the wrong decision. I think it was just right. Yeah, thanks. All right. Who's the one interview you want more than anyone? Slater, dude. Yeah. Come on. El Slater, smelly skater, if you will. <laughs> um, it's a that's a good one. Uh, I haven't heard it for a long time, so it hit me like it was new. Uh, Bob Hurley, Bob McKnight, any of the Bobs out there. Uh, I think like industry. I love the business of surfing. Like yeah. I'm fascinated by the business of surfing. Mm. I think even the biggest entities in surfing have yeah. underperformed. Totally. To be honest. Yvonne Chouinard, I would love. Yes. Like, business-type tycoons. Have you listened to How I Built This with Yvonne? No. Oh, good. I like How I Built This. Yeah, they did one with Yvonne. It was okay. really nice. Yeah. Um, what's the one question you'd ask El Slator? Good, good question, Tyler. <laughs> um, 
stumped him. No, no, no. I'm not stumped. <laughs> he's, he's I would like. <laughs> I would like to know how Slater mm-hmm. makes friends. I That's would, a great question. Thank you. Don't that steal is, it. I would, uh, don't worry. So here's the deal: when you're at that level of celebrity, everybody wants to be question your friend. Everyone. Everybody wants to be your friend, yeah. and there's usually ulterior motive. Absolutely. And I, I ask this from a very personal, uh, selfish mm-hmm. perspective, which is like, I have a hard time maintaining, uh, not maintaining, I have a hard time developing friendships. You know, like as an adult, when you were a kid, you're in school, those are your friends. <laughs> and when you work in an industry where maybe you're in an office, those are your friends. Yeah. I don't have an office environment with a bunch of mm. males of a similar age or similar interest. Yeah. And um, so it's like, well, how do you make friends at this point in your life? I would like more friends and I would like a larger network of friends. We could be friends, Dave. All right, dude. <laughs> this, is really, this is all a thinly veiled ploy for me to get <laughs> anybody out. out there. Email address, hello at surfsplenderpodcast.com. No me, all right? I yeah, swear. right. Yeah, right. <laughs> you say that now. That's exactly what a conniving friend would do. Um, so, no, it's an important, more than what I just said. Yeah. Friendships are valuable, right? Yeah. So, um, I see the value in it and I see the value in not only maintaining the relationships that I developed when I went to high school and in my 20s, but in developing new relationships through my 30s, 40s, 50s, blah, blah, blah. So Slater, talk to me, dude. How do you... Absolutely. Dude, you certainly have a large network of friends that you've met around the world from a million different... From Jack Johnson to the family in Tahiti that hosts you every year to... how did you meet Kalani? Like, exactly. Like, like, and how do you she was vet him? College, and it was ten years ago. She was uh, like seventeen or eighteen. But. So, how do you vet these people? Yeah. And and then decide. And certainly, even if they know who you are, yeah, you can still become friends with them. Like, that's not a non, yeah, you know, non-starter for a friendship. But how do you vet them? Yeah. No. It's it's a. It's a great question, and that's something I always think about too. Like with asking, and yeah, like I've I've become friends with like like guys like Taylor Steele, right? Like such a nice, sweet guy, you know. And you're, and I think like oh, I hope he doesn't think I'm like friending him because he's Taylor Steele. Like I think he's fucking awesome and super cool and really chill and just a really lovely person, you know. And you you you're like when you are meeting some of these people, even you're like. I, I hope they don't think there's an ulterior motive with me. I just, I'm really interested in them, you know? So that, I think that's a really great question. I would be, a, I would love to see that on your show. You should um, cut this like two minutes of the episode and email it to Slater. Yeah. You should be like, dude, this is the quality of interview this guy wants this to is, give. This is, he'd be great. Yeah, you know? come on, man. Let's do it. Go on the show. Um, all right, time to turn the tables on you, Dave. What is your relationship like with surfing these days? Ooh. Got him with his own question. Uh, it's embarrassing, actually. Why? I don't surf that much. I bet you surf a hundred times more than I do right now. Uh, maybe it's just embarrassing yeah. for all mid thirty year old adults <laughs> who have real jobs. Yes, that's you know exactly what I mean. Like, um, <laughs> like honestly, was it last night I told you, Brittany? I was like a coke couple of plans for the next five years of my life yeah and i'm like laying it out and i'm like one of them is i need to surf again yeah. i need to surf more like i want to go on surf trips oh, yeah. dude i have not been on a proper surf trip in a long time like every, goofy foot or regular foot? regular 
But every every trip that I've gone, and I go surfing on trips, yeah. but it's like I go on a work trip, and then I surf while I'm on the work trip. So on the day that I surfed, the priority was get work done, yeah. then go surf. But I haven't been on a trip where it was like, what are the tides doing? What are the oh, winds doing? And then insane. surfing based on that. So, and even locally, it's like, I don't, I just surf kind of when the time allows. It could be a Saturday where I actually don't go into the office. Yeah. But I woke up and I had to like do podcast stuff and I had to like do dishes and I had to clean the garage. And then I surf at two in the afternoon when the tide's too low yeah. and the winds suck. And I get two waves. But I'm like, oh, well, I got in the water and that was enough. <laughs> but, and, and like in a sense, there's a lot, there's like a real spiritual value in that. Yeah. I've achieved this kind of enlightened stage mm-hmm. where just being in the cold water and in the sun is yeah. adequate. But the flip side is my my performance level has fallen off like crazy to a point that's actually shameful. I actually feel bad about it. That's why I ride long fishes a lot in the winter. <laughs> Cover up your inadequacies with foam, dude. I'm just totally happy to get away, get a lot of waves, yeah. and I'll just make myself look stylish rather than and, and focus on positioning rather than maneuvers. If I'm stylish, that would be great too. I don't know that that's even true. So my relationship with surfing is. Um, I would argue, in one sense, yeah. the most rich it's ever been because the podcast is surfing. Yeah. Where it's like I'm constantly engaged mm-hmm. in the conversation with people who I respect. And I'm talking about it and thinking about it in a uh, to a depth that I didn't when I was 21. Yeah. You know? But the flip side is I'm not surfing to... The, with the frequency or the ability level that I did when I was 21. Yeah. And I think that I could. Yeah. I think that I could be a better surfer at 50 than I am at 36. Dude, look at Scott Bass, man. Bass is ripping. Rips. Look at Slater. Yeah. Kern and Aki. Absolutely. So I think that's why I mentioned that the other night was like, and it, again, it might have been last night, was I if I want to be a better surfer at 50 mm-hmm. than I am today, I need to plan out the next five years of like surf trips yes. and actually spending time in the water because... I'll just be honest, my physique won't allow it yeah. right now, currently. Don't want to end up like Matt Warshaw, you know, in Washington. Burned him, dude. Yeah. You burned yeah. Warshaw yeah, so hard. No, you did. Oh, I did? You just burned him right now. Yeah, Don't well, he'll, he'll, he'll like burn Matt himself. Warshaw. He'll burn himself. Like, he'll, he'll, he'd be the first to admit that. I saw him get the best barrel he's ever get, gotten in a decade. I know. He I watched that video. Um, what was the last board you rode? Roger Hines. Mm-hmm. Shoot, I don't have the internet here. I was going to look up the exact dims for you. Do you know Roger Hines, yeah, it's like a... Is this your 84 model? No. Copy? No, but I like that board yeah. a lot. I rode that board exclusively for a year, and I mm-hmm. haven't ridden it in three years. Uh, Roger Hines, 5'10", 20 inches wide or so. Uh, he calls it the Ninja, mm-hmm. is the board model. Wide and somewhat fat. And then it's got a... Five fin boxes, but the center box is long for a single fin. So I've been riding what Tony Roberts calls the cock and balls setup, which is like a seven-inch single fin and two small side bites. bites. That's great. Yeah, and it's been... um, If you move that fin all the way up, you almost have a Widowmaker. Yes. Excellent Dave Parmenter (laughs) reference. Uh, Which I don't, actually. I drag it all the way back and just get pivot out of it. But... What I love about it is um, all the paddle paddle power of like a fish or like a f- 
fatter yeah. volume board. And then maneuverability of a short board kind of, or like yeah. kind of responsiveness of a short board. However, mm-hmm. the long fin in it really draws out turns yeah. where I find myself, you were talking about style, it gives me better style than I probably would have if I was riding a high performance shortboard. It forces me to like draw out, your turns. draw out the turns and then link it right into a bottom turn. The bottom turn I've learned is going to take longer than I anticipated. Yeah. So it's kind of like I drag out the bottom turn or go into the bottom turn early, drag it out. Uh, the board still kind of goes vert, yeah. which is kind of weird or unusual. The one issue I have with the board is weight in the tail mm-hmm. because of the five fin boxes. And then I put the um, little, I don't know what they're called, in the two boxes that I'm not yeah. using. Oh, you put tabs in them? Tabs, little plugs. Oh, really? To prevent the, or to, I guess, increase water flow so it doesn't get caught in the empty fin I boxes. I think it gets caught. I actually think it creates lift. Oh, maybe it does. Yeah, it would create like the dimple uh, dimple okay. philosophy. You ever see like the golf ball dimples yeah. on bottom of boards? It's to give you lift. You actually want airflow to go through there. Okay, I'll take them out. Yeah. So those add weight. Yeah. And that 7-0 single fin at, is a, it's a heavy it's weight, you know? And all those fin boxes are weight. So I feel like even just holding it underarm, like it feels heavy. Mm-hmm. And then I don't know if it's psychosomatic, but while I'm surfing, I feel a certain drag mm. that I'm like, yeah. I'm either I'm, I think I need to order a new one with only three fin boxes, not five. And maybe I find them. single fins. If you want to smooth your surfing out, the single fin's the best way to do it because it makes you read the wave better. Yeah, you know, it and requires it, you to. For you sure. know, I feel like a lot of pros on tour could benefit from that. Totally. You know, pros on tour, I are so myopic in their board exploration. Yeah. They have to be, you know? Until they get knocked off tour. and then they Exactly. <laughs> That's a good point. You know? That's a good point, yeah. All right, I'm going to do quickly. These are quick questions, and we're done. Okay. Um, these are my surf questionnaires I love to do based on the Bernard Pivot questionnaire, which okay. is also the actor's studio. Yeah, yeah. Um, what is your favorite surf term? Yeah, guy. <laughs> That's my least favorite. Dude. <laughs> That'll be the next one. <laughs> I cringe, cringe. Um, yeah, we'll cut. We'll cut the dead air. Nah. <laughs> um, no, we got to keep the dead. Bitchin'. Bitchin'. I like that. Rad. Yeah, rad is always fun. That's I feel like rad's never gone out of style. Yeah. I use it, and then people call me out, and I'm like, I didn't even know that was a bad thing. Like, yeah, that's an acceptable, you know. So least favorite surf term would be yeah guy. Yeah guy. I would not have known that until you just said it, but definitely I made my <laughs> skin crawl. If, if you could go back in time and surf in any period in history, when would it be and what board would you bring? Uh, I'd go late 80s Indo. Mm, yeah. Develop just enough, but not overdeveloped. Right. Totally. I was gonna say '90s when I was watching it. Yeah. But it was already exploited. Yeah. And those boards were too thin. Yes. So I go '80s on an '80s Aki nice thruster from uh, Rusty. If you could bring bring a board from your past into the present, what board would that be and why? Funny enough, '84 uh, Stewart. Oh. Also, yeah. also, it was not a garage sale find. I got it at the Goodwill thrift store beater yellowed out uh it had the date on the bottom that's how i know 84 stewart 
but it was a classic 84 kind of yeah. thruster like i just said the aki model um and i want to say it was 510 mm-hmm. shorter than i would normally ride but plenty yeah. of volume and here's a roger Hines story for you oh boy i was surfing i was at the age 18 19 20 ish yeah. And I was surfing with my buddy Grant. Bolsa cheese. It was like a giant swell. Mm-hmm. It was too big for Huntington and Newport. Mm-hmm. And like the, the coast bends as it goes north into Bolsa Chica. And so Bolsa Chica doesn't catch as much of the yeah. swell energy. So it's always like two or three feet smaller. Mm-hmm. But it was still head high. Yeah. And it was like breaking almost like it's a beach break, but it was breaking like a right hand point break. Nice. And Grant and I were surfing. And I got a right on that 84 Stewart. Yeah. And I just surfed it. Uh, it felt, I mean, the wave felt good to me. And I kicked out, and this guy acknowledged my ride. He was paddling out, and he watched me, and he was like, he's like, bro, that was a rad ride. Nice. That last turn you did was so rad. I was like, oh, thanks, man. Roger. Yeah. And then I, my buddy Grant was working in the surf industry oh, at the wow. time, and I paddled over to him. We were catching up, and he goes, you know who that was that said that to you, right? And I'm like, I have no idea. He's like, that was Roger Hines, that surfboard shaper, Roger Hines. I was like, what? Really? And I knew of his name. Yeah. And I was like, oh, dude, that's that compliment felt good, yeah. but it felt even better that it was somebody established. Fast forward 15 years. I'm at dinner with Roger Hines at the boardroom show yeah. in Del Mar, on a Saturday night, he, I think he was competing that year in the boardroom show, and we end up at dinner together, and we had become a little bit of friends over the course of a period of time, and I was like, hey, Roger, do you know the first time I ever met you? And he goes, I have no idea. And I explained that exact story to him, and he starts smiling midway through the story, and I finished. He goes, dude, I remember that exact wave. That's he goes, I fully remember that story. He goes, I remember the turn that you did, yeah. like, vividly. That's and he goes... What I loved about it was you weren't, quote unquote, ripping. That's the way that board was supposed to be ridden. Like yeah. in the in 84, this was how people were surfing. Yeah. And you were surfing to that style. That's awesome. And I was like, dude, we're kindred spirits. From this point Seriously. forward, I don't care what you say to me. I will always have your back. That's awesome. Yeah. So. If you Still had, riding his boards. I know. I love that. That's cool. Yeah. Um, if you had the choice of surfing perfect waves every day for the rest of your life or being able to surf any wave extremely well, which would you choose? Let's say you would get surf like Florida does. Sometimes good, sometimes bad. And I surfed Florida perfectly versus surfing perfect waves? Yeah. I'll take perfect waves. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I I mean, I would like to think I don't... I would like to think ego drives that second option where it's like... Surfing one foot wave perfectly makes you feel great because you did it perfectly. Uh, and if ego not, drives not that option, perfectly. not surfing per- just well, like you're you're able to surf any wave well. Like, yeah, um, yeah. Just for me, I would choose the other because I like problem solving, and sometimes perfect waves you get bored. No. Yeah. I, well, I'm okay with the idea of the perfect wave. I blow. Yeah. Fifty percent of the time, uh, and then maybe ten percent of the time. I get, I do surf, surf it really well. And that, uh, again, that problem solving thing, I would apply there and just go, yeah, man, uh, that so- the sweetness is more sweet because yeah. I soured it a lot, you know? I like that. So that's my, that's my goal. Perfect and, waves. And finally. And I don't get perfect waves enough, so I want that. 
if heaven exists, what sort of wave would you like to surf for eternity? And if you fucking say the Slater wave pool, Slater is not God, okay? He is not God. He is a man. <laughs> um, the Marley section, yeah, which is what the Slater wave pool is based, based on. on. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. Um, I'll go cloud break. All right. I love that. Yeah. And I've never surfed cloud break. It looks so interesting. I, I, I might be inclined to say J-Bay. Yeah. But I'm going to go cloud break because I prefer backhand barrel riding to fronthand. Uh-huh. I've never felt comfortable frontside barrel riding. Uh-huh. Um, and then I like the, again, the puzzle and the solving of the equation that is cloud break where it's like, some mushy sections, turn sections, and then crazy double up sections. So I'd go cloud break. Dave, thank you so much. This was a marathon. I really appreciate it. I You're appreciate welcome. your time. Brittany, I appreciate you hanging out. Thank you so much. Like, I had such a blast. So thank Thanks. you. You're welcome. Awesome. All right, thank you. They float above the city lights. Forget the truth, inhale the lights. Just enjoy the show. That was a lot of me talking today. So I hope that uh, it provided some insight for you. I'm very excited about all the work to be done here. Um, All the different ways to tell stories in an interesting way, cover news, maybe even dabble in journalism. Your support has really helped me wildly and sometimes recklessly pursue these interests of mine. So thank you for the continued support. Also, thanks to Tyler Brewer and Ben Pomeroy of Swell Season. Make sure to check out their podcast. Thanks to Rob Colby for taking the time to bring us up to speed on Need Essentials. Looking forward to your support over on Spit Podcast with Scott Bass. And then, of course, remember to open up your podcast app. Subscribe to The Grit with Chaz Smith if you haven't done so already. And then, of course, thank you to healthiq.com slash surfsplendor for supporting this show and saving listeners money for living healthy. And thanks to fanatic.com, the Netflix of Fins. Use promo code podcast to get your first month free. And, of course, support this show. All right. Thank you all. I'll be back next week with an all-new episode here on Surf Splendor. And then I'm also scheduled to catch up with Bassy over on Spit Podcast as well. Until then, get in the ocean, share some waves, and shred on. I heard this old joke once, it was like, uh, knock, knock, who there? It's us, us who? Just us, who this? Just playing, just me, new phone, new hair, new era, I'm in the penthouse, baby. Handpicked from bad apples and bad eggs, hell bag, I had to grab crab legs. 
Then there were only but a few Conversations held with patience With a party, with a view With a dress, with a song What a beautiful time My folks downstairs still waiting in line They never been in these rooms Never stay with these folks Never laughed at the news Never hated these jokes So as I fly in my suit In a group, undercover Forcing a new smile He tells me another He said, what happened to the boy That climbed up the trunk Then he pushed me off the top And said, jump, nigga, jump Ooh, don't bring me down I need a room up in the clouds. I wanna get the bay. I wanna elevate. Oh, my favorite mix. A little ignorance and bliss in a penthouse bay. Go to the penthouse. Go to the penthouse floor. Let's go, let's go. Yeah. Go to the penthouse floor. Oh, let's go. Let's ride the elevator. It's what we've been waiting for. We'll tear down the penthouse. 